Couldn't get him, couldn't find him a job for weeks. I'm dying, thought Eli. I'm trapped on this bumfuck world, dying. Please, 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 Kunihiro san. There has to be something. Private escort? Guide? Anything? You know I can fly anything. I got these mad skills. Eli looked at him imploringly. Can't you talk me up to the feds or something? Surely they need a carrier ship or something routed. Anything? I'm sorry, Eli. There's nothing on the boards. I even put you up privately with the scout and engineer guilds to see if they wanted to private contract something. Nothing. For some reason, business is slow, I guess. He patted him fatherly style on the back. It'll be okay. Just take a couple more trains for corporate. Something will turn up. Eli groaned theatrically and stared up at the ceiling. Kunihiro, I am so bored. Bored. Ground transport has to be the most demoralizing experience known to humanity. He gripped Kunihiro's shirt for emphasis. Seriously, I pick up the train. I stop the train. I yard the train. That's it. Day after day after day, across wastelands. I can't even talk to anyone because no one is allowed in the cockpit but the pilot. Seriously, Kunihiro. Eli shook him a little. Can you imagine what it's like for me not to have the ability to talk to anyone for days at a time? I'm going insane. And that nutrient supplement that they stock the train with is disgusting. I'm sure it causes cancer, or hemorrhoids, or impotence. You have to get me out. Kunihiro cleared his throat and gently removed Eli's hands from his shirt. You're being very dramatic right now, Eli. It's okay. Just save up some cash. Enjoy the stability. Why don't you go see that nice boy you keep bringing back? What's his name? Luke? Go spend some time with him. Enjoy the corporate schedule. Eli slumped back on the stool and dejectedly rested his, hand on his, his head on his hand, idly playing with the condensation puddles on the bar. He won't return my calls. Oh, I'm... I'm sorry about that, Eli. Whatever, he was boring anyway. Kunihiro put his hand over Eli's. No, I could tell you liked him a lot. The younger man sighed. I did, but he's a cop. You know cops are bad news. He seemed like a nice boy. Yeah, I thought so too. He's very handsome. Eli scowled. I thought so too. And you're not making me feel any better about this. Kunihiro shrugged. I wasn't always old, Eli. If you like this boy, you should go see him. You never know. Maybe he's just shy. Eli snorted a little. Shy? Kunihiro, if you knew what he... I'm not talking about sex, Eli. Kunihiro looked at him sternly. Look, I've known you for a lot of years, since you were a kid. I've never seen you interested in one person before. Maybe you should take some time and think about it if it's something you want. Kunihiro-san, I never figured for a romantic... Eli shifted to rest his chin on both hands, pyramid style. Who knew? Kunihiro closed, cleared his throat as if embarrassed. You, you remind me of... His throat seemed to close up, choking off the words, and he tried again. Of someone I loved very much. Loved? asked Eli. What happened? He died, Kunihiro said softly, and Eli was shocked to see tears starting at the old man's eyes. Oh, Kunihiro... Eli reached out to take one of his hands. I'm so sorry. Kunihiro covered it with his own and bowed his head. We had a daughter, and one day I lost her and him. It broke my heart. He paused for a moment before looking back at him. But when he did, his gaze was clear and strong. But I wouldn't have traded that. You understand. They were the best of me. If there's even a chance you can have that, I want it for you. 
Eli blinked a little at the intensity in his face, but said, yeah, okay, I mean, I get that, but Luke is just, well, I don't know what he is. He's not my soulmate or anything. Gunnihiro shook his head. No, you don't understand. Love never tested isn't real. The stuff that lives through fire, that's the real stuff. Eli frowned at him. Yeah, I don't understand. Kunihiro sighed, staring down again, face closed off in its usual dignified expression. Yeah, I don't know what I'm trying to tell you. Go see him anyway, he said, gently extracting his hands and moving away. If nothing else, it'll distract you from boredom for a couple hours. Eli groaned. God save me, I might as well. Not like I have anything else to do on this godforsaken planet. Hey there, handsome, Eli said, jovially to the desk sergeant on duty at the federal station. He clasped his hands behind his back so they weren't overly sweaty. Something about this place just makes me feel bad and dirty, he thought, and not in a good way. How's it hanging, my brother? The sergeant glared at him and he felt small. Yep, this is going great. All right, let's just get this over with. He cleared his throat. I was told to, uh, to meet a detective Luke Casper here. Would someone mind helping me find his desk? Not a lie, he consoled himself. Gunahiro did tell me to go find Luke. He sent the thought towards the station itself as if it could hear him and judge him more kindly, and he had a sudden image of just getting thrown in a peacekeeper cell and rotting away forever and ever and ever. He shivered a little and beamed at the sergeant. The officer didn't say anything and didn't break eye contact as he tapped a couple commands into the console in front of him. Eli didn't blink and didn't look away. Like a rabid dog, just keep eye contact and don't run, he thought, because they'll chase you if you act like prey. Oh, God, why am I so nervous? The sergeant glanced down at the readout and then settled back into his chair, still looking Eli up and down. Casper's busy, he said. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I just have some information he wanted. Won't take more than a second. No, you don't, said the sergeant. I'm sorry? You don't have any information. You're lying. How do they do this? Eli felt his smile bite into the folds of flesh around his lips, but kept it on there. Sir, I'll have you know that Casper was very clear about this. I'm just trying to do my civic duty here. Casper's not here. Okay, well, when will he be back? Later. When's later? Not now. Okay, can I leave a message for him? No, he's very busy. Big case. Eli stopped and felt a smile slip off and his hands brace themselves on his hips, almost against his will. Hey, dude. I'm not a dude. Sir, whatever. Look, I'm trying to get in touch with Casper. Throw me a bone and help me out. Casper's on lockdown. No one talks to him. He doesn't leave the station. The sergeant leaned a little closer to the plexiglass partition. Your boy is busy and cannot be disturbed. Think of it like corporate quarantine. Why? It's none of your business. Well, when will you be out? The sergeant shrugged. It's corporate. Could be today, could be next year. Detective Casper has been put on administrative status indefinitely. But why? Look, kid, go home. Casper will call you when he can if he wants. Don't worry about it. Eli stepped back out of the station and let his head fall back in helpless frustration, seeing the rising city levels stacked above, pedestrian bridges and light rail soaring like a jungle high enough to block out the sky entirely. He felt a quick stab of claustrophobia. Well, fuck. I guess that's it then. He closed his eyes against the city, a moment of homesickness for the wide expanse of the void. 
At least Casper didn't call because he lost interest. Corporate quarantine. What the fuck is that? God, I hate cities. Corporate just sinks its teeth into you and won't let go, like a leech. Hey, kid, you the one asking about Casper? Eli opened his eyes. An extremely tall man was standing next to him. Most of his body glinted in the lamplight, metal plates, hydraulics all wrapped up in an intimidating black uniform. Eli whistled slowly as he surveyed the combat android. Uh, nope. Nope, I was not asking about anyone for any reason. I was just minding my own business like a very good, responsible citizen, he said, smiling and waving as he backed away slowly. Have a great and safe day, officer. He turned to leave. What could have been an exaggerated sigh slithered out of the officer behind him. Jesus, kid, I'm not going to arrest you. Just wait a second. What did the desk sergeant tell you? Eli turned to him slowly. Uh, nothing much, sir. Just that Casper was unavailable. Some kind of permanent admin duty. Corporate quarantine is what the guy said. But he paused, taking in the uniform and the badge of the android. Why are you asking me? Don't you know y'all work together, like, for the same team or whatever? You'd be surprised. Bet I wouldn't, he thought as the tall man grabbed his arm. Eli winced a little to feel metal fingers and to strengthen them against his bones. He shied away, but the man didn't even seem to notice. He seemed to be thinking through something before finally making up his mind and hauling Eli towards one of the light rails. Uh, Mr. Police Officer, sir, where are we going? We need to talk, you and me, privately. Oh yeah, that always works out great. Not a lead up to violent death at all. The android shot a curious look back at him. Is that humor? Sort of, Eli mumbled. Look, don't judge me, okay? I wasn't prepared to do my act while getting dragged through the streets by a cyborg. It's the best I got on a fly on the fly. You're funny. Bully for me, Eli said, feeling suddenly certain that he didn't want to be. Mom will be so proud. The android pulled him deep into Undercity, to a modular plastic building with the words Feed Me a Dead Cat and the number one scrawled in white graffiti on the otherwise unremarkable box of rust and decrepitude. He tapped on the door three times and whispered, It's me, when a little scrape of sound echoed on the other side. The door opened and the android shoved Eli into the darkness. It took a minute for his eyes to adjust, and when they did, a half dozen clone monsters full of metal and electronics looked back at him. All of them were in some kind of uniform. Some were playing a card game, another was reading. Eli's entrance had become the most interesting thing in the whole joint. He swallowed convulsively. God, I hate clones. So creepy. All with their identical faces. Uh, hi, he said into the silence with a little wave. Nice place you got here. I really love the way you're not killing me right now. One of them looked beyond him to the tall officer. Standing, still standing near the doorway and wrestling the metal door back into place. What the fuck is this, Nine? It said. I needed to talk to him and this was the closest place I could think of, he said. Nine, you can't just drag a human in here. A corporate is going to notice. I know, I know, he said, waving off the other clone and finding one of the beat-up chairs to slump into. But the kid knows Casper. Casper? The clone reading shut off his tablet. You've got a lead? Well, I don't know if it's a lead, do I? Because I haven't talked to this motherfucker yet. He glanced at Eli. No offense. What's your name, kid? Eli cleared his throat and made his way over to one of the chairs as well. Eli. 
Eli Weaver, nice to meet you. He took another survey of the identical faces around him. Well, all of you. Nine grunted. We're all AR models. I'm nine. That one is six. One five. There's ten. That's zero eight. He's admin. Don't pay any attention to him. And two four. With a quick gesture to each. Don't worry about keeping us all straight. It's not really a problem. Oh, good, said Eli weakly, trying not to be too intimidated. The way they all kept looking at him, all intense and hungry, makes me feel like meat. And again, not in a good way. Howdy. How do you know Casper, said one of them. Sixth, maybe? Uh, we're banging, Eli said, almost like a question, and scratched his head. Well, at least we were. I kind of got concerned when he stopped answering my calls. Banging? One of the card players stopped. What's that? Having sex, zero eight. Jesus, don't you get out of archives at all? No. Shut up, Nine said dismissively to everyone, swiveling back to Eli. Eli, you said that the death sergeant told you he was on corporate quarantine. Did he say why? No, Eli said, just that no one was going to be able to talk to him. Did he say if it was authorized locally? No, but he did seem to say that someone pretty high up in corporate wanted it. Corporate or fed? Do you remember the exact words? Eli shook his head apologetically. I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure it was someone in corporate. Corporate is bad, Nine, said one of the card players. You thought that because all the bodies were human so far it was fed. Obviously it's not right. Shut up, Nine said again, but without heat. Eli, do you remember Casper telling you anything he'd been working on? Anything that maybe made him uncomfortable or that he wanted to talk about? We didn't, uh, he coughed a little, talk that much. You get me? But, yeah, he said he was concerned about his partner. His partner? Nine perked up. That was months ago. What did he say? Eli shrugged. He just said that he was concerned because she kept disappearing. Memory wipes, corporate meddling, and he wanted to know why. I guess she disappeared again, and he didn't like that. Nine sat back hard. TK? He was worried about TK? Oh, I don't know her name, said Eli. Sorry, but yeah, he wanted to find her. Why would he care about a TK model? Asked one. I mean, we all like Casper. He's a good guy, but he's still a human. Who would care about just another clone? Nine nodded. She must have something. He wasn't worried about her. He was worried about the information. Yeah, otherwise he would have just registered her for recycle. Casper wouldn't recycle one of us, would he? Oh, shut up, zero eight, said six. Of course he would. He's human, isn't he? Eli cleared his throat. Sorry to interrupt, but uh, what's recycle? Nine spared him a cold glance. We get ground up and flushed back to the clone farm. Regenerate another little baby body to serve you lot. I'm sorry I asked, Eli muttered. If it matters, I don't think Casper would do that. I mean, he always seemed really worried about her and always was real gentle with clones, you know. The statement kind of died as all those synthetic eyes rolled back to him. Real gentle, Eli finished lamely. Oh yeah, human. Please tell them how it feels to be treated gentle. God, I'm an asshole, he thought. How nice of him, said Six dryly. I'm sure his heart bled for us. Eli coughed and felt his skin flush a little. Yeah, I'm sorry. Nine was quiet. He sat in the chair with a kind of stillness that just screamed wrong to Eli's senses. Hate clones, he thought. Things freak me out. I never know how to act around them. 
He cleared his throat again. Okay, look, is there something I can do? Casper and I aren't, you know, close exactly, but I like the guy, and I don't really want him to be in trouble. Anyone want to tell me what's going on or what I can do? Mine looked at Eli. You don't like clones very much, do you? It wasn't really a question. But Eli answered anyway. Uh, no, not really, not really. Eli spread his hands out and gave his, him the most charming smile. Look, you guys are super scary. I feel inadequate just looking at all that. He waved a hand towards Nine. Manliness and badassery. I mean, even the admin clones are just so competent, right? It freaks me out. Nothing against you, he said hurriedly, trying to take the sting out of his words. It's just, you know, I'm a big fan of hydraulic systems and ships and trains and front-end loaders and not, you know, in a knee or whatever. Someone laughed. Six, maybe. Nine didn't. Did Casper talk about anything else? Anyone else? Nine had focused back onto Eli's face and was completely uninterested in his attempts at humor. Eli doubted that he'd actually heard the joke anyway. Uh, no, he said. I don't think so. Do you remember where he was last working? Did he ever meet you in an unusual spot, ask to see you in a different part of town, anything like that? Actually, yes, said Eli slowly after a moment. We met the last time down by the port, a real shitty spot, but he said he missed me and I'm kind of a sap. He flushed a little. It just seemed wrong to talk about any sort of emotion or happiness when surrounded by all the clones in their metal and isolation. Where, said Nine. Undercity port, by the warehouses. I'm not sure what sector. Casper just sent me coordinates for a bar that was close to the train station, and then we headed back to Guild Barracks. Nine looked at one of his brothers. Zero eight, you can pull your, his last registered duty location and match it against that description, can't you? Zero eight's eyes blanked white. Already doing it, Nine. Shut up for a second. After a moment, his eyes blinked back online. No registered duty location for the past six months at that location, but something similar was registered a while ago. Evidently, TK and Casper found an illegal grow house out there, same area, broke it down. Also, a note that TK had been wounded there previously, took a nasty blast to the stomach and had to be rebooted. Of course, they have TK registered as recycled now, and her service number has been decommissioned. I'll go check it out, said Nine. I'll go with you, Eli heard himself volunteering. It surprised everyone, including Eli. Six sets of synthetic eyes focused on him. Why? said Nine finally. Well, I don't know, Eli said. I guess I don't really have anything else to do, and Luke might like to have a friendly face, you know, in case... He didn't finish the thought. He didn't even know what he had intended with the start of it. Yeah, you know what, you're right, it's stupid. Well, Eli stood up and brushed off his hands. Thanks for the party, boys. It's been a blast. But you know, Nine just sort of flowed up out of the chair, liquidy-like, impossibly fast. I'm a graceful man, but that's just creepy, thought Eli. He was right up in Eli's face in a heartbeat. Eli stopped breathing and took a very tiny step backwards, trying to make it look as casual as possible. Did he? No. No, I like that idea. You're coming with. And it means I can keep an eye on you so you don't spill your guts to corporate. Well, I would never... Eli stopped. Yeah, you know what? You should keep an eye on me. I can't be trusted. Need a big, strong man like you around. 
Ah, said Six. So you've worked with corporate before? Eli sighed. I should probably send Kunihiro a note. At least let him know he might need to identify a body in the next couple hours. You could say that, he said to Six. Fuck me, he thought. Luke, you better be worth all this trouble. Part 4 The port was a shithole, and Eli immediately remembered why he hated it. This section, anyway. He stepped over another vaguely twitching body and made a grimace. Hey, Nine, aren't you supposed to, you know, like, protect and serve? He tugged a little at the android's sleeve and pointed to the body. What's with all the dying homeless? Isn't this a police thing? Nine glanced down and then returned to scanning the warehouses around them. That's a corporate police function. I'm federal. Yeah, but... Eli leaned down as if to touch the man, and Nine snatched his hand back, hauling the smaller man firmly behind him. Don't touch, he said. Yeah, I got that, Superman. Thanks, said Eli, rubbing his wrist as Nine let him go. Why can't we help him, though? He looked like he needed medical attention or something. Plague, said Nine, without any inflection. Contagious only to humans and androids. Don't worry. One of the containment or coroner clones will be here ready shortly to dump him into a recycle facility. Eli reflexively took another few steps away from the man on the ground and covered his mouth and nose. Plague? Here? But the station master... Yes, said Nine. Take this. I think this is the site where TK and Casper found the grow house. Nine shoved a small bundle into Eli's arms. What is it? He said, looking at it incomprehensively. It's a respirator. Put it on. Why do I need a respirator? Because I told you to. Put it on. But if there's something in there, put it on, said Nine, shaking it out of Eli's hands and clumsily dumping it over his head. And be quiet. Aye, aye, Captain, said Eli, settling it more comfortably about his face and tightening the straps. Again, I don't see why... Nine opened the warehouse door. A wall of green, thick air flooded out and flowed around them like some kind of pestilent fog. It made Eli's skin hurt. Stay here. Don't touch anything, said Nine. I'm going to see what's left. Okay, Eli said, watching his hands break through ripples and patterns in the green air. Hey, what is this stuff? Chlorine gas. What? Eli stuffed his hands in his pockets and looked at the gas in horror. What the fuck, Nine? Why aren't you dead? The big man shrugged. It's used to accelerate clone growth to create organic molecules for the assembly process. Our lungs are usually artificially constructed in the base model growth matrix to provide immunity during self-assembly. Well, holy fuck, Eli said, what? Just stay here and don't touch anything, Nine repeated and disappeared into the darkness. Evidently, strange men loitering around broken buildings filled with chlorine gas was not that uncommon in this sector. A few hardy souls wandered close, saw the color, and automatically switched on envirosuits, biosuits, or pulled on manual respirators like Eli was wearing, as if it happened all the time. Eli waved nonchalantly, trying not to feel awful. Howdy, folks. How are you? What's going on? You all having a good day? No one responded back. Well, one guy flipped him off, so I guess that counts. Fortunately, Nine didn't take very long. He came up behind Eli, grabbing an arm and hauling him towards the port. I know where Casper is, he said. Oh, goody. Where are we going next, boss? Will there be treats at the end? Eli made as if to pull off his respirator, and Nine pressed it back to his face. Yes, and you're not going to enjoy this. Keep your face on. Don't make any noise. Sure thing, Eli muttered, and let Nine pull him towards another bad idea. They walked through a warren of dirt and metal debris. 
human and machine detritus littered the streets, if they could even be called streets. Occasionally a flash of movement or skin broke up the stillness, but the moment anyone saw Nine's black uniform, they disappeared. It was a ghost town, and the silence made Eli nervous. So, um, federal police officers are kind of a big deal, he said, breaking up the silence as another community member ducked out of their way, refusing to make eye contact. You could say that, Nine said, with the unfocused look that Eli had come to recognize as him checking maps or server links or something. Feds are supposed to be off the corporate servers. People hate the red and brown cops more. Brown cops? Corporate peace officers. Oh, Eli said. Cool. I guess. He moved them into another set of alleys that smelled like piss, even through the respirator. Bodies littered this one up and down. Eli tried to move closer to Nine without being too obvious about it, and Nine didn't seem to notice, or either didn't care. So, um, you always want to be a cop? Eli said, trying to distract himself. Nine stopped walking and looked at the other man as if surprised for a moment. I didn't want to be anything. It's my designation. Oh, yeah, cool, cool. Eli tried to step around one of the dying bodies. It thrashed weakly, and he skipped a little to move out of its reach. But you know, you, you like it? No, Nine said. Turn left. Another empty alley greeted them. Hey, Nine, I know you're, like, connected to the great server that guides us all and whatever, but are we there yet? Eli shivered a little, looking up and seeing only bridges and plasteel buildings. No sky, no light, just smog and death. I miss the sky. God, if you let me get a void job after this, I will pilot to the farthest reaches of the universe. I will go to church. I will do anything you want if it means that I can get off this horrible, horrible rock. Yes, Nine breathed and yanked Eli behind another set of buildings. Ouch, he muttered. What's the big... Nine pressed a finger to his lips and rotated Eli gently to the side, pushing his head down so that he could see into one of the grated manholes hidden by the thin smog layers. Eli looked down and down and down. Dim orange light seemed to barely illuminate the ridge of a massive cavern with a flood of green light at one end. There was the sound of rusted machinery screeching against itself, as if something was being loaded or unloaded. The sound of heavy things, lots of heavy things, falling down into the cavern. It seemed to ricochet around the big room, and then the green light disappeared. Eli pressed his ear to the metal grating. He could hear soft sounds like tiny screams or crying or moaning all in that echoey surround sound that warped the noises even as the unload racket buried them in bigger clamor eli reared back nine he whispered pushing back into the buildings as far away from the manhole as he could get nine what is this place eli already knew the answer he knew it he just didn't want to hear it out of nine's mouth recycle facility sector 178 nine said softly it's where TK was registered as Recycle, and it's where I would stuff a human officer who found something he shouldn't. Leak? The word came out high and hissed. Leak's in there? He's dead? Only if he's very, very lucky, said Nine quietly. Eli threw up into his respirator. Nine cleaned Eli and his respirator up and then pressed a small box into Eli's hands. Here's what's going to happen, the android said. I'm going to go down there and find Casper. When I get him back up here, you are going to have to help me decon him. You're also going to have to run the emergency extract line. 
He undid a portion of his uniform, revealing a cross-strapped block of metal embedded into his skin that he tapped before removing his shirt. The metal seemed to shift and warp, solidifying around his torso. From his back, a tiny bump with a hole in it shimmered into place and turned from silver to black. From his pants pocket, he undid a whisper-thin roll of wire thread and handed Eli an end. Here, put the end through the hole and yank it. Eli did. The wire shivered and bonded with the locking port, making a single surface as Eli jerked on it. With the other hand, with the other end, Nine deftly wound it around one of the plasteel girders around them and came back to the manhole. He pointed at one of the buttons on the communicator. If I start screaming, or if I tell you to, hit the red button. He paused, considering Eli. Can you do that? Yes, Eli said, trying to be brave. If you scream, hit the red button. Good, Nine said. He reached into one of his cargo pockets and handed him a small box. This has an emergency blanket and a small decon kit. When we come back up, open it. Dump the blue bottle on Casper. Dump the yellow bottle on me. Stand back. Don't breathe, even through your respirator. Once the vapor is cleared, put the blanket around Casper. Do you understand? Eli nodded. Man, shit just got real, huh? Yes, the android said without elaboration. Any questions? No, sir. Eli could feel his skin flash hot and cold and his chest felt too tight as he watched Nine do something on his forearm and make his eyes go white. It made him shudder in reaction. Nine dropped into the hole. Seeming like hours later, nothing had happened. Eli was still crouched on the side of the grate. Nervous anticipation had dulled to a sort of distant, expectant terror. He could see the wire thread moving against the metal lip of the hole, but he didn't want to listen to the sounds coming from it or get his face any closer to it, just on principle. He gnawed on the inside of his cheeks and clutched the little red box and the little communications box in his hands that were so cold he couldn't feel them anymore, even in the heat of Undercity. I should start wearing my biosuit more, he thought absently. All this subterfuge shit is hell on my civvies. Finally, finally, the wire thread started whizzing as the slack got taken up. He scrambled away from the hole and stuck the communication box in his pocket. Nine slammed into the lip of the manhole, a limp man strapped to his chest. Luke. Eli started to move forward. Stay away, barked Nine. Metal flesh muscles bulged and flexed as he rotated to press both of them out of the hole and collapse on the side. Eli ripped open the red box. Six tiny bottles, all different colors, greeted him. Even as he reached for the blue and yellow ones, he could see them starting to change color, as if the air had triggered some sort of reaction. Shit. He grabbed the blue and yellow ones and let the box drop as he dragged the emergency caps off and dumped them all over the men. Blue for Casper, yellow for Nine, he chanted to himself over and over again, making sure that every scrap of precious liquid hit their bodies somewhere. Red-purple vapor mixed with the undercity fog, and Eli backed himself into a comforting hollow of a building as far away from po as them as possible as the chemical reactions seemed to reach out and search for him. Something about it almost seemed alive. Don't be ridiculous, he told himself. It's a gas, not a person. But it didn't make him feel better. After a moment, the gas seemed to freeze and precipitate into ruby-red crystals that fell like broken glass around the two figures underneath it. Eli cautiously returned to them and fished in the red box for the emergency blanket, quickly wrapping it around Luke. His lips were blue, but Eli could hear faint breathing. Nine stood up and brushed himself off. 
Eli swallowed a little in discomfort to see great holes opening up in the android's body cavity, like acid burns. He could see complex wire systems and organic-looking blobs that may have been organs, but somehow weren't. Nine tapped his chest, and the skin shivered, liquid silver flowing around him, filling up the holes and turning black in the air. Good job, he said, and flicked the wire thread. It zinged back to him from the pillar he'd anchored it to. Deftly, he rolled up Casper in the blanket and used the thread to tie him up like a piece of meat before carefully hauling the big man up onto his shoulder. Holy shit, Eli breathed. Clones are fucking scary. Yes, said Nine. Follow me. The two men dropped him off at Nine's safe house. Eli glanced at the graffiti arching over the front wall again. Feed me a dead cat. It seemed creepier this time than the last, especially watching a seven-foot android clone dragging my mostly dead boyfriend through the doorway. Hey, Nine, he said, following the android anyway, because really, what else was he going to do? What does that dead cat stuff mean? Nine glanced at him. It's the safe house code for clones off the server. Oh, cool. Yeah, what does that mean? It means it's illegal, and if I tell you anything more, I'm going to have to kill you. <laughs> Eli started to laugh and then remembered where he was and who he was with. He shut his mouth. None of the other R models were there now. Nine laid Casper out on a couch and stood for a moment looking down on him. Hmm, he said. Eli waited. Nine looked at Eli and then back at Casper. Eli kept waiting. Eli, I want you to stay here with him. I'll let Zero Eight know that you're here. He'll probably protect you. If Casper wakes up, keep him still. Keep him here. Nine moved towards the door. Hey, hey, wait, I need stuff. Like food and a bed and bathroom. Stuff, you know? I can't just hang out here in a dead metal box and wait on you. Nine shrugged. Okay, do what you want. Well, where are you going? To find TK. Whatever Casper found is worth killing him for. She's got something worth knowing. He opened the door. Well, are you going to be back soon? Is Casper going to be okay? The words sounded like a kid asking when his dad was coming back from the store. Evidently, Nine heard it too, and it just startled a hint of a smile out of him. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I already know where TK is. Just hang out here for a while. Keep Casper warm. I'll be back soon. Okay. Nine strode out of the room. Hey, bring back something to eat. I'm starving, Eli shouted after him and closed the door, feeling suddenly lonely and cold. He looked at Luke, all wrapped up in his emergency blanket. Ah, oh, what the hell. Not like he'd mind if we shared. Eli delicately pulled away the metal thread Nine had used to keep the blanket on and settled in next to Luke, pulling it over both of them. The reflective metal crinkled and scratched uncomfortably, but he did feel better smooshed up against Luke and cozy warm. He closed his eyes. Eli woke up in a rush with one of Luke's fists buried in his face. And not gently. Luke was struggling against the blanket, thrashing desperately. Without thinking, Eli put his arms around him. Hey, there's... Luke hit him in the nose with something that felt like an elbow, and he felt a lightning bolt of pain reach down to his groin and then roll back up to his face. Fuck, he hissed, releasing Luke and curling into a fetal position on the floor. Not again. Now it's going to be all crooked. Luke, relax! he said, trying to hold the blood in with one hand and offer him the other. You're safe. Luke was off the couch now, blindly scooting back towards the wall. 
His eyes were completely black, as if the pupils had swallowed up any other color, including the iris. Look at me, Eli tried again, still holding the blood from spurting out of his nose. Your face is okay. Eli rooted around a little and tore off part of the ancient, decrepit couch to press gingerly against his nose as he stared up at the ceiling, trying to stop the bleeding. We're in Nine's place. Don't worry. Luke didn't seem to register the words. He didn't seem to register anything, actually. Eli delicately moved the couch rag off his nose, pleased to see that the bleeding was mostly stopping. He pulled the emergency blanket towards himself and consciously slipped over to sit next to Luke. Hey. Eli slowly eased the blanket back over him. Nine had stripped whatever he'd been wearing in the hole off him, and Luke sat there naked and shivering. He still didn't acknowledge Eli, but he didn't shrug off the blanket either. That seemed encouraging, so Eli followed up with a gentle arm over his shoulder. Luke, you're safe. He didn't seem to mind the one arm, so Eli went ahead and tried pulling Luke into a little closer so he could get the other arm around his front and hold the blanket better. There you go. All safe. We're here. You're with me. Friends. They sat there for long enough that Eli's butt started to fall asleep. His arm had a cramp. His nose ached in time with his heartbeat. It was fairly miserable. Finally, Luke looked at Eli. He was pleased to see the whites of Luke's eyes were back and the usual brown, not that crazy, creepy black, and let out a little breath. Eli? Hey, said Eli. Welcome back. Luke started to shiver again, this time big, jagged spasms as he tried to scratch his skin off. Whoa, 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 e Luke, easy, stop. Eli tried to pull his arms away, but he was possessed and stronger anyway. Disgusting, 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 Luke murmured over and over again. Get it off, get it off, get it off. Yeah, okay, okay, stop scratching, hun. Here, hold on. Eli unfolded from the floor and started opening drawers, poking around in the ruins of the safe house. A dusty pair of coveralls, a water bottle, and a couple rags came out from a busted dresser and from under the ramshackle sink. Eli dunked the water over the rags, scrubbed them, pulling his hands away from the cracked and bleeding skin. There you go, clean. Luke snatched the rag from him and scrubbed harder. Eli let him. After a few moments, he seemed to settle, and Eli handed him the coveralls as he pulled them on. Eli tucked the blanket around him once he was done, and Luke put his head in Eli's lap and just shook. Oh, fuck. Eli laid a hand on his back and made soothing circles. He's going to need some serious therapy after this. Do they have therapy clones, I wonder? They have to, right? You want to talk about it? Asked Eli after a long while. No. Cool, cool. Where's Nine? He asked. Looking for TK. TK? Sense seemed to return to Luke in a rush. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. He grabbed Eli's shirt and dragged him close. Eli, we have to get out of here. Okay, yeah, sure, when Nine comes back. No, 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 you don't understand. We have to get off Rigel. Far away. Now. Like, someplace they can't find us. Who can't find us? Corporate. Eli laughed a little, obviously not understanding. Where are we gonna go? The only place corporate isn't King on is an orbital. And even then, we'd have to be pretty far out in the void. Don't laugh, Luke hissed. You helped. Fuck, they're coming for you now. We have to get out. We have to find TK. The door opened and Nine strode through carrying a large, unconscious body that he unceremoniously dumped on the floor. Casper, Nine said. You... 
We have to get off planet, interrupted Luke. Now, with TK. Nine nudged the large bundle with one of his boots. Sure, here she is, but... Eli, Luke grabbed his shoulders and shook him. We need a ship. Can you get us out? Now? Tonight? Ship? Fuck no. I don't know, Luke, he said alarmed. Maybe? I gotta... You have to. Please, please get us out. Yeah, okay, I can try. No, he gave Eli another shake. You have to do this. All right, yeah, I get you, said Eli. Maybe Kunihiro... He stopped and clarified for their benefit. The pilot guildmaster, maybe he can help. I don't know, he's the only one I can think of. Then let's go, seethed Luke. Nine? Eli looked up at him. Can you get us to the guild hall without trouble and bring... He glanced at the body on the floor. Whatever that is, Luke seems to think it's important. Shrugged. Sure, easy, but Casper, I... Shut up. Shut up. We have to go right now. They probably already know what happened. Well, there's no talking to him, thought Eli. Come on, Kunihiro. Help me pull off a miracle. Kunihiro did not appreciate being woken up at four in the morning by a junior pilot and two federal peace officers carrying baggage that looked disturbingly like a body. Come to think of it, Eli didn't appreciate it either. Eli, the older man, said in his calm, understated way, What the fuck are you doing? Morning, Kunihiro-san, said Eli brightly. You know, I seem to have run into a spot of trouble. We need off this planet right now, broke in Luke. Right fucking now or else... He trailed off as if he wasn't sure what was actually going to happen, only that it was bad. Eli let him finish, just raising his eyebrows slightly at the interruption, and then turned to Kunihiro to finish his statement. I need a ship, he said, and I need to get to the farthest space station I can think of a, pl a flight plan for. Kunihiro blinked. Hmm. Wait here. In a moment, he'd returned with a tiny silicon chip anchored to a pretty white gold chain and handed it to Eli. Birth 12, the Mariah. Eli took the ship. You been holding out on me, old man? A ghost of a smile broke on Kunihiro's face and then disappeared. She's my personal ship. I haven't been on her in ages. Can't stand to be on the bridge. But she's paid off. Fully independent. He nodded to the chip. All my access codes and identifiers are keyed to her with that. Pretty sure you can figure out how to fly her. Eli felt a lump in his throat and cradled the white gold chain against him. Kunihiro, are you giving me... Shut up, kid. Just take it and go. I'd suggest you try Cygnus Orbital. He gave a deep sigh and looked at his hands. Tell the station master I sent you. She'll take good care of you. Kunihiro dono, Eli whispered for once, actually meaning the honorific, and leaned in for a hug. A ship! He could feel Kunihiro hug him back for a brief instance and then push him away, even as Luke was tugging at his shirt. Just go, kid. Come back if you want, or fly free, he shrugged. You're a good boy. Kun Luke hauled him out of the hall as Eva Eli waved madly to Kunihiro with his throat all closed up. I love that old man, he thought, seeing the silver head retreating into the distance. Mom is right. So right. Kunihiro's a good one. Nine dropped the body in a cargo lift and handed Eli the keys as they got closer to the port. Eli looked at him uncomprehendingly. Ports are monitored, Nine said. I'm not blowing my cover. Two humans with a ship code is fine. An android with a registered name with them is not. Go. I'll send you an encryption code once you're off planet to the ship. Eli felt a little shot of ice trace up his gut. But Nine, he started. Luke grabbed his hand. Good thinking, Nine. Give it the usual code trigger. I'll pick it up in subspace. Thanks. 
He grabbed the lift keys from Eli and shoved them in in front of him. Nine didn't bother to wave or anything, just turned and left. Eli waved anyway. Luke slapped his hands down. Stop drawing attention to yourself. Be quiet and just get us onto the ship. Yes, sir, Eli whispered, a little sulky. You know, this has been a pretty big day for somebody like me. You think you can tone down the asshole just a hair? Luke grabbed him close to hiss in his face. I'll tone down the asshole when we're not seconds from recycle. You want to end up down there again with me? Eli swallowed. No. Good. He took off towards the port, and Eli, Eli followed. But I can see why cops have such a high divorce rate. What did you say? Nothing. Nothing at all. Don't mind me. Chapter 3. Gia. Part 1. Cigna Station Master, this is the Mariah KD1059er requesting docking access for one standard week. Resupply only, over. Tendaji Prost felt a small tug on his pant leg and smiled to see his daughter staring up at him with big eyes. She liked to see the console during docking. She liked to pilot even more. Something only he let her do. With Kuhn safely asleep and no one the wiser, he pulled her up on his lap, cradling his arms around her with just enough room to reach the controls. He squirmed a little and rested her tiny hands on his as he waited for the instructions from the AI. Daddy, shh, Gia, he whispered. We have to be quiet for a minute until the AI tells us to go. Okay. After a, mo after a pause, a smooth female voice came over the register. Mariah, KD1059er, please submit your authorization and registration numbers. Over. Tendaji moved his hands in familiar patterns over the interface, amused as Gia's fingers followed his, imitating tapping keys. He rested his chin on her tiny brown head. Cigna Station Master, codes have been submitted. Over. Another break. He could feel Gia watching the other ships through the viewports as they lingered just outside the great curve of Cigna Station. The megastructures surrounding the sun never failed to impress him. Great, circuitous rings of jagged engineering stacked like pyritic crystals around the blazing brilliance of the sun. A new home of humanity. He dampened the light shades a little more against the white sunlight on his viewscreen, just in case. Gia's eyes weren't fully developed yet. You never know. She's getting so big, he thought, adjusting her a little tighter against his chest so he could see the interface better. When did that happen? Did they forget about us, Daddy? She whispered, peering at the screen as if she was expecting a face or person to be in the interface. Why is it taking so long? Shh, he said again. AIs get confused if there's too much talking in the background. She pressed her hand against her mouth as if she was breathing too loudly. She needs a haircut, he realized, as bits of it flopped against her face. Too long for space travel and a new bio suit. Roger that, Mariah KD1059er, your license and registration have been verified. You've been authorized birth in Sector 4D1. Please acknowledge, over. Acknowledge, Cygnus 1, Sector 4D1, Mariah KD1059er, out. Tendaji eased the ship into the flight pattern transmitted on the interface, feeling gracefully away from the great rings and blinding solar light, catching a quick view at the brown planet, barely visible at the extent of the solar system. Long threads of ships and walkways spun out into the void like roots from a tree. Huge interlocking blocks, habitation quarters, warehouses, food production structures, all tied with tenuous metal bridges and access corridors, black and stark against the shining light, sucking up solar power and orbiting slowly in the intense heat. 
slender ribbons of colored light skimmed out like rotating dust trails to the outskirts of those routes, guiding ships into lanes and meaning managing traffic. He followed one path, reversing his hands so Gia was controlling the path of the ship. Her little body vibrated with tension, all her attention focused on the viewport and the landing instructions on the computer interface. Kendaji relaxed. They'd done this so many times, there was nothing to worry about. The station master at Cygnus 1 was one of the best around, so even if something happened, one of the AIs would pick it up and take care of it. All they had to do was follow the light patterns and keep the speed down. He moved her fingers to a better spot and eased the speed control to something more manageable. Good job, baby, he said. Nice and slow. Just keep it between the lights. She didn't answer, absorbed completely in piloting. He flipped up a communication tab on the side of the interface and pressed the button under an old-fashioned speaker. Kuhn, lazy. Time to wake up. We're here. No response. Kuhn, wake up. Yeah, came a bleary answer finally. I'm awake. One second. Is her coffee ready? No. Where's Gia? Piloting the ship. Kendaji smiled down at his daughter again, intent and focused. He's doing a pretty good job, too. Station master will pull our license if they find out you're letting a kid drive, Kuhn said. Try not to crash into anything. Yes, dear. Good morning. Hmm, so you say. I haven't seen it yet. The calm clicked off and Tendaji put his hand back on Gia's fist, gently easing the ship into a long sweep towards the approved berth. Kuhn's disjointed humming echoed through the bridge as he maneuvered himself into the shower and made it into the kitchen for coffee. It smelled delicious, and Tendaji closed his eyes happily. Life was very, very good right now. Gia made a little gasp as a security freighter slipped through her lane and sped into the void towards Earth. He squeezed her hand reassuringly and resolved to pay closer attention. A moment later, Kuhn stuck a steaming mug under his nose, and he took it gratefully, breathing in the scent and the pleasure of someone making him something. You're going to make that kid old before her time, Kuhn said, watching her face. No baby should be that serious at her age. You're ruining her. He's not ruining me, Papa Kuhn, Gia said without taking her eyes off the flight path. I like it. I know you do, Gia. Kuhn ruffled her hair. Whatever makes you happy, pet. I just think your daddy ten is making you work too hard and increasing our chances of getting pulled over and fined. Kuhn's face darkened. He ran the finances on the ship and Ten felt just a hint of terror thinking about having to tell him Gia needed a new biosuit. Biosuits were expensive. It's fine, Kuhn. She's so smart, Kendaji said instead, avoiding that thought for the moment. It'd be a crime not to let her learn what she wants, when she wants. Hmm. Kuhn settled himself into the other chair in the tiny transport bridge, obviously not convinced, and Ten liked to watch him move. His black hair was pleasantly mussed, shirt untucked, boots off, pants rolled up to his calves. The light caught the long, lean angles of his face. We're out of books for her, by the way, and she's finished all the teaching modules up to eighth grade. Kuhn caught him staring. Watch the flight path, dummy. Quit staring at me. Ten gave him a sweet smile and ignored him. Ninth grade, Papa Kuhn, chimed Gia. I'm all done with ninth grade. I finished it last night. Kuhn sighed deeply, as if put upon by his family. Yes, I'm so sorry. Thank you, pet. Good job. Ninth grade. She's a terror, Tendaji. You've created a monster. Tendaji chuckled. Hey, don't put this on me. You're the one that bought her that private tutor program, and look what happened. He pressed a kiss into her hair. 
She squirmed as if resenting the intrusion into her focus, obviously blocking the two adults out. I take full responsibility for everything, all the time. But seriously, Ten, what are we going to do with her? I'm almost brilliant enough to keep up with her, but you, you're a total lost cause. She'll eat us alive in a couple years. And who's going to teach her multivariable calculus, huh? I certainly don't want to. That sounds like effort. And I'm not really a math guy. Ten snorted in disbelief. Kuhn stretched out his long legs, crossing them at the ankles, bracing his coffee cup against his chest, brutally watching Gia's delicate touch through the viewport as she weaved through the complex shipping lanes slowly and carefully. She better get rich and take care of us in our old age, otherwise this was a total waste. I can hear you, Papa, Gia said, sparing a quick glare at him. And you're already old, so it looks like I'm too late. Ten snickered. She gets that attitude from you, you know, and you say I'm ruining her. Kuhn gripped his heart dramatically, spilling a little coffee on his white shirt. What? What's this, my pet? Calling me old? What would you know about it, eh? He made a move as if to tease her, only to get brushed away by Tendaji. Stop that. She's piloting. Don't distract her. Kuhn caught Tendaji's hand, tugging on it earnestly, worry making him frown. Seriously, Ten, you take over. She's been going long enough. It's not good for her to stress out this much. Who's stressed? Relax, Kuhn. She's doing great. Station Master wouldn't let anything happen anyway. But Ten closed his fingers over hers, feeling his partner's disapproval. And no one liked it when Kuhn was displeased with a capital D. You okay, kiddo? He asked Gia. Do you want me to take over? She shook her head, determinedly focused on the refocusing on the approach pattern. Ten shrugged a little at his partner as if to say, See, there's nothing we can do and Kuhn rolled his eyes. It's unnatural for a kid to be this good. She's probably a serial killer or something, he said. Papa, I'm right here. She sounded aggrieved and disgusted, like a tiny boss. And I'm not a serial killer. No? A hint of a smile lingered around Kuhn's expressive lips. Are you sure? Ten gently slipped Gia's hands off the controls as they neared the docking bay, taking over for the more complex operation. How can you be so sure? Any evidence? I just know, she said, crossing her arms across her chest. You're just picking on me because you're bored and don't like having to go on station. Kuhn tweaked her nose. Incorrect, my pet. I enjoy teasing you so much that I can't resist saying outrageous things. It's an endearing quality of mine, no? You can be honest. I'm your favorite, right? Gia turned up her nose and made a show of cuddling into ten as he completed the docking maneuver, settling the ship into the station with a barely perceptible bump. Kuhn pouted. Welcome home, everyone, said Ten, sighing with satisfaction and patting Gia in excitement. Kuhn might hate the hit to their budget and the annoyance of interacting with people again, but Tendaji loved Cygnus. He loved the smell of grease and water, metal and people, growing things and weird food, food that he didn't have to cook or take care of. So much to look at and experience. Gia echoed her sigh. She liked the station as much as he did. Gia, baby, go get dressed. Bring your tablet for books. We're going to go visit Miss Martina today. The little girl clapped her hands and jumped off his lap with a thud, tearing into the back room to get ready. One of the few times she looked like a kid and not a miniature adult. He chuckled to himself. Ten already had his biosuit on, coveralls rolled down around his waist and the top open. He stretched for a moment and then mirrored Kuhn's relaxed posture, taking a gulp of now cool coffee and wrinkling his nose. It's cold, he pouted. Whose fault is that? Go nuke it. 
Ken shrugged and took another sip. Maybe I like it better this way. Coon snorted. Maybe you're just too lazy. Hush. Ken stole a glance at his partner. Are you coming on station or do you want to wait here? I know you don't. I'm coming. Coon's gaze remained fixed on the viewport, showing nothing but black, iridescent metal of the hangar bay wall. We need work. I'll go check with the guild to see what's posted. Okay. Ken could feel restlessness from the other man. Something was upsetting him, but Coon never talked about anything until he was ready. G and I are going to go shopping. 300 credits worth is okay, right? Yes. Coon started gnawing on his thumb. We should stop by the med center for Gia, too. Get her scheduled. Scheduled for what? Ken was surprised. Med services were expensive, and Coon hated doctors. Is she sick? She hasn't seemed ill to him. Coon sighed. No, she needs the clone inoculations. We're about six months behind, and and I don't know. The way she's her, by herself like this, the way she's just so focused, so intent, so responsible. It's not natural. Plenty of kids and clones grow up off station nowadays, said Ten. The tutor programs and socialization programs are the best around, vetted by the shrinks. She has her digital pen pals. She's fine. Coon glowered. I just think we should check in on her with a real psych. She's too obedient. She never does anything for herself. It's weird. Makes me nervous. She's my kid, right? I was awful. I genuinely thought my dad was going to throw me out of the airlock a couple times. Even you occasionally have a temper tantrum or don't want to do something. She is just too good. Ten laughed. What parent complains their kid is too good? She's just a great kid. Relax. She'd tell us if something was wrong. What, you think maybe she caught an angel virus because we didn't inoculate her against attention and seriousness? God, you're too uptight, my love. Ten put his coffee cup down and stood up. Unlike Kuhn, he was small enough to stand in the tiny bridge without stooping, though his broader shoulders didn't quite fit through the doorways. He leaned down to press his forehead against Kuhn's, gripping his hand. Get dressed. I'll take her, if it'll make you feel better. We have to get her a new biosuit anyway. What? Again? We just got her one. Kids grow, lover. What can I say? Kuhn muttered to himself in disgust. Fine, but it better be a used one, and try to trade in the old one. No more than 150 credits, and I'll see if I can sell that rebuilt iron converter we found for something decent. Biosuit. Who wanted to have a kid anyway? Whose good idea was that? Ten kissed his forehead, ignoring his grumbling, and went to start the decontamination process at the docking bay. Gia would meet him at the gate. She was probably already waiting by the door. He smiled to himself. Kuhn was worried about nothing, he told himself. She was just a great kid. Gia, honey, don't run, Ten called after his daughter as she took off in the marketplace. The kid had no concept of danger. Kids were so rare now, everyone treated them as little princes and princesses. There wasn't even any stigma against being a test tube baby anymore. Not when humans had such trouble having them naturally. Gia, wait! She was tall for her age. She'll get Coon's height when full grown, he thought. Lucky girl. Too bad she got my plain looks. He could see her stop ahead of him, tapping her foot impatiently for him to get close enough. Impatiently for him to catch up. Hurry, Daddy, she said when he got close. Martina has to go to the clinic in the afternoon, and it's almost 11. I know, I know, I'm sorry, baby. She grabbed his hand and started to pull him towards the general education building. 
Pandaji Prost as I live and breathe. Martina Petroka as Gia's official education manager pressed a kiss to his cheek and he smelled lavender and dust. It was extremely pleasant. We've missed you. I'm so glad you're back, she said in her velvety smooth voice as she gripped his hands, pulling him, her, him into her office. Everything about her was warm and inviting. A constant electrical hum of happiness and peace seemed to flow around her, and he drank in the sensation. Welcome, welcome. Oh, it's so good to see you. She released him to hold Gia's face in her hands and press little kisses all over it. And my beautiful Gia, look at you. Just look at you. Oh, you're such a darling. I could just eat you up. How old are you now, my dear? Gia smiled shyly. Nine. 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 Martina reeled back as if in shock. I was there when you were born, you know. It was just last week. I held this little baby and I thought, this will be a wonderful person. You can't be nine years old already. Gia blushed. She'd pushed her bio suit up over her elbows and the coveralls hung baggy and too big over her bony knees. She looked small and thin, and Ten felt a momentary twinge, wondering if maybe Kuhn was right. Maybe there was something wrong. He shook it off. Kids were supposed to be scrawny when they were growing. He'd just make sure to make her eat more and take more breaks from her lessons. That's all. But I am, she said. I am, Miss Martina. I'm nine. You don't need to tease me. So I see. Martina gripped her chin and smiled into her eyes. Gia didn't like making eye contact, but she adored Martina, so she tolerated it. Your papa tells me that you've finished the tutoring program up to the eighth grade. Is that right? And that you've completed Mandarin and Spanish already? Ninth, but yes, Gia said proudly, briefly looking at the old, older woman before dropping her eyes down again. They're getting easier, it feels like. Papa Kuhn didn't know I finished it yesterday. Ninth, so smart. My darling, you're brilliant. I know, said Gia quietly. Papa Kuhn says I'm wicked smart. She seemed to feel badly about talking and abruptly shut her mouth. <laughs> so you are. Your papa is right. And he asked me to get you a special present for this new school cycle. Martina reached behind her back to present Gia a small key. The girl took it and looked at her expectantly. It's locker number 41, said Martina conspiratorially. Why don't you go over to the warehouse and tell us what you find? Gia's eyes got bright with excitement, and she took off like a shot. Oh, you didn't have to get her anything, said Ten. We would have covered it, of course. Of course, said Martina, smiling at him. But I wanted it to be a surprise. Kuhn requested some special books, but I had a whole additional set she should read, at least once I saw her test results. Martina invited him over to her desk, motioning to a comfy stuffed chair next to it as she settled herself. I couldn't resist. Don't worry, it's all on the school. I got her a full set of professional series textbooks from engineering, medical, and general sciences, an archived hard copy. She'll be entertained for hours, and you'll need a droid to assist you in loading them onto your ship. Kendaji let out a small breath of laughter as he slipped into the chair. Good lord, hard copies? I'll have to build her a little library somewhere. I'm not sure our ship is big enough for her reading habits. Common problem with baby geniuses. She paused, looking as if she was searching for words. Tendachi, I know you and Kuhn are pretty convinced that you can't stay on Cygnus. I know you both like being couriers, and it's a great life. Please, don't get me wrong. I'm just a little worried about Gia's development. Oh, you and Kuhn both. He didn't tell me about her test results. Martina nodded. I'm not surprised. He didn't actually tell me about them either. 
I, got a, I get a blind copy of all her academic records so we can help her with job placement and additional education, that sort of thing. Maybe he was hoping to let her be normal for a little while longer. But, Ten, she's in the point zero zero one percentile and demonstrates an EQ and an IQ greater than 220, which is a 185 on the adult scale. Ten let out a long whistle. That's certainly more than we were expecting. Yes, Martina nodded. That's a lot. And as her parents, you may want to think about staying at Cygnus more permanently. People with her kind of brain can be very susceptible to trauma, mental illness, emotional problems, loneliness, all kinds of challenges that can be very difficult to manage on the courier circuit, even for such wonderful people as you and Kuhn. Oh, I wish he'd told me and come with today, said Ten a little sadly. It would have been nice if he was here. Martina nodded again. This might be a difficult conversation for him, you know, given... <clears throat> given his past experience with the education department. I'm sorry, Tenbaji. She's scored off the charts in most of the children's tests for years now. I mean, we should have expected something like this, but I don't think anyone quite expected her to be so special. She leaned forward a little when Ten didn't reply. Listen, the research and development group has been notified about her at corporate. She's on the DARPA watch list. I had to tell them. I mean, it's regulations. I'm so sorry. But the director over there said that once she completes her BS, they'd like to pull her in for a formal PhD and give her a research job. Any discipline she likes. It's a great opportunity. You know, if she were here at Cygnus, we could accelerate her education and get her working much more quickly. I wish you hadn't told corporate, he said slowly, seeing her guilty expression. Gia's still a baby. That's too much pressure to put on a child. Too much responsibility. Ten said, suddenly understanding Kuhn's comment about stress from this morning. He didn't want to tell this lady that we want our kid to take her time growing up, realized Ten. Kuhn hated confrontation, especially with Martina. He mentally shook his head at his partner's cowardice. Martina, I don't think we want to accelerate anything. Giving her a chance to see the galaxy, be normal, loved... Maybe think about federal service instead. I mean, we think that's better for her than putting her to work when she's not even finished growing yet. Oh, of course, of course. But, but think, she can make friends here on Cygnus, socialize, develop long-term relationships that would be healthier. But only with smart kids, right? Only with other geniuses getting groomed for work? Well, yes, but it's still better than being alone with her parents all the time. Ten felt himself flinch. He wasn't the smartest man in the world but he loved his family. He couldn't help but think that was enough, that keeping her close was better for her. It was better for him and Kuhn, definitely. I don't know, he sighed. Ten, just think about it. I've already talked to the habitation managers, and we can get you and Kuhn approval to live on Cygnus, if that's what you want. R&D have a couple of spots open in the physics group that Kuhn could take tomorrow. Tendaji made another face. I, I understand, but why don't you and Kuhn just talk about it? It doesn't have to happen right away, you know, Martina said, backing off, as if she sensed his defensiveness. I just think it would help her develop more easily. Stupid Kuhn setting me up for this by myself, Tendaji thought. We'll think about it, Martina, I promise. He rubbed his forehead. And to think, today had started out so well. Martina gripped his hands again. 
Tenbaji, this is great news. She's brilliant, genuinely brilliant, just like her father. You should be so proud of her. And no one's trying to take her away from you and Kuhn. She just might need more space than you two can give her, that's all. She obviously didn't look convinced. I've known you for almost a decade, she continued. Hell, I recommended your child request in the first place. Please know, I wouldn't do anything to hurt that girl, and I love you and Kuhn like my own family. She looked at him intently, and he could feel conviction pouring out of her. But Gia's just got so much potential, so much brain power that she's only now just tapping into. It would be a shame to let it go to waste for any length of time. Tendaji gently abstracted his hands and repeated, We'll think about it. He stared out towards the warehouse and his daughter, and then stood up a little abruptly. You must have other students. I'm sorry, where's the... Down the main hall, take a left at the life sciences department, and then just follow the signs. Tendaji, please. Thank you so much, Martina, for the books. I'm sure she'll love them. Ten smiled at her, or tried to, but his face felt stiff. Kuhn, what are we going to do, he thought, as he turned towards the warehouse and Gia. The Department of Education was a sprawling campus, taking up a whole level at Cygnus. General admin was where most of the teachers were, but there were also researching centers and libraries, whole acres of libraries. The warehouse supplied students and researchers with professional publications and also employed a couple hundred authors willing to sift through the accumulated detritus of human knowledge to try and find something new every year. And Gia practically lived here every time they were on station. Ten's mother also practically lived here. He supposed it was hereditary. Unlike the rest of the sector, these buildings were actually transplanted from old earth, stone and wood constructions made when plants were a thing and deemed too precious to leave on the dying planet below. Ten had once tried to imagine what it would have cost to drag all these buildings up and recreate them in Cygnus, but had gotten overwhelmed after about nine decimal places and given up. Sure looked pretty, though. His footsteps echoed in the empty hallways as he passed classrooms and labs. His mother had been so disappointed when he didn't go to school. Gia was braced against a row of lockers, a helper arm waiting patiently next to her as a sea of textbooks suddenly rose around her. All of them had been packed carefully for transport in bioplastic cases. She'd opened one and was delicately flipping through rag paper pages, gold embossed with, a sealed, with sealed covers. He squatted next to her and it took her a minute to register another human's presence. Hey kiddo, nice books. Daddy, she said, holding out the book to him. Look at it. Touch it. The pages are real. I can write in it. He stroked his fingers along them, noting the softness and the weight. I see that. They're beautiful, baby. She took it back and inhaled. I can't believe all these are mine. Neither can I, he said, wondering where they were going to put all of them. She already had quite a collection from Kuhn. Are they all nonfiction? She nodded. For some reason, that made him unaccountably depressed. He took the book from her and placed it back in the case. Let's read later. For now, let's order a droid to take these back to the ship. You and me are going to go see Grandma. Grandma? Her face lit up. Can I stay with her while we're on station? Sure can, he said, tapping the coordinates into his digital assistant for the droid rental with the job instructions and then hefting Gia up onto his back. I can walk, Daddy. I know you can, but this is more fun. She settled her little arms around his neck. Is this just so you and Papa can argue without me being on the ship? 
she asked as he started out towards his mother's place. Surprise made him twitch just a little. Why would you say that? What would we argue about? She sighed. Whether to stay on station for me or stay outside. Ah, Ten felt his heart turn over just a little. I should have known you'd figure it out. Which one do you want? She buried her head against him. I guess I could stay with Grandma if you didn't want me. Ugh, kiddo, that's not what I asked. What do you want? Do you want to stay on station and spend more time learning? I don't know, she said in a small voice after a minute. I would miss you and Papa a lot, but I really like the lessons. I wish they were harder. He let out a big exhale. I know, but we could stay here with you. <sighs> it's tricky, huh? Her arms tightened around him. I don't want to be in the way. Baby, you're never in the way. Your Papa and I love you, but you know how Papa feels about living on station. He hates it. He sure does. He'd do it for you, though. I don't want him to be miserable because of me. Well, who wouldn't be miserable? There was a long pause, and Ten could practically hear her calling bullshit in their head. She was too polite to contradict him. Oh, well, it'd be worth it if it made you happy. You know Papa Coon would do anything for you. Yes, she said again in a small voice. But he shouldn't have to, though. Part of the parent deal, kiddo. We both knew it when we signed up. It's not your problem at all. You should think about what you want to do. Do you want to stay off station? Do you want to go to work early? What you want to study? Things like that. Maybe this week we can go visit some of the departments while Papa Coon is lining up jobs for us, and you can see what they all look like. Okay. And you can stay at Grandma's so she can feed you and let you read trashy novels that Miss Martina knows nothing about. He said it lightly, trying to coax a smile out of her. The new Yona manga is out, as they are here. Her head shot up. Really? Grandma has the new volume? She ordered it last week when we told her she, we were going to visit. She says the art is beautiful and you're going to love the ending. She read it already. No, I hate when she reads it before me. Ten relaxed to hear her excitement, to hear her sound like a kid. You know she just likes to torture you. Daddy, hurry up. I've been waiting months for the new volume. Months. Aye, aye, Captain. Coon. Ted stood in the, Ten stood in the door to the engineering deck, staring at his mate, who had his head shoved in the engine, studiously ignoring him. Super busy right now, Tendaji. You should come back in a couple hours. You know, this ion coupler has just fried itself. We'll have to get a new one. Coon. Why didn't you tell me about her test results? And why didn't you go with me to Martina's? You knew what she wanted. Coon's head stayed firmly inside the engine compartment. Ten, he stopped. Do we have to do this right now? I'm kind of in the middle of something. His voice echoed in the metal casing, and Ten couldn't hear if he was upset or just avoiding him. Yes, Ten said patiently, crossing his arms and waiting him out. I'll stand here until you're ready to talk about whatever weird notion you've got going on in your head. We're going to have to decide something. Why? Why can't we just keep going on like we have been? Well, we can, but that's a decision. It'll mean that Gia won't have access to jobs and opportunities that you and I would have sold our souls for on station. I wouldn't have cared. Well, fine, then I would have. What do you want to do, Coon? Where's Gia? She's at Mom's. 
Now would you please come out of there and look at me? I don't want to. Kendaji huffed a little in exasperation. Why not? I'm not going to yell at you. No, but you'll look at me in that way that says, Kuhn, I thought we'd really got this past this in our relationship, and I'm really disappointed that you didn't trust me enough to talk about this, blah, blah, blah. Ken nodded to himself. Great, we got the hard part out of the way, so I won't say any of that, and I won't even look at you if you will just come out and talk to me so we can figure out what we're going to do about our daughter. No, leave Jia here, that's the easy answer. Ten could feel Kuhn's heart break even as he said it. No, it's not. Trusting our kid with a bunch of strangers is never an easy answer. Well, that's what Martina wants. Martina is not my lover or my daughter. She doesn't get to have an opinion. Please talk to me. Kuhn slowly straightened himself out of the engine compartment, diligently not meeting Ten's eyes. Tendaji glanced around him into the bowels of the ship, seeing mechanical wreckage piled around him in a tornado of work. Kuhn, my love, did you take apart the entire engine plane just to avoid having an emotional conversation with me? Yes. Ten rolled his eyes. For heaven's sakes, it's just a conversation. I've never seen anyone as allergic to feelings as you are. Relax, I'm not going to yell or do anything to you. I know that, I just... Kuhn gestured a little helplessly with a wrench. I don't want to leave her here. I'd rather she stayed with us, and so what if it makes her dumb? creepy and weird and like a plot of a bad sci-fi novel to have this shadowy R&D group collecting genius kids. He pointed the wrench at Ten. There's something fucked up about that, and I don't like it. You can never trust corporate. Look, I hear you, but it's Martina. It's not strangers. She's practically like a mother to Gia. I know, I know. It uh, doesn't matter. I mean, I think Gia should come with us and we should get away from this place as soon as possible. Get back where it's clean and quiet and there aren't all these rules and controlling freaks. Kuhn, Gia could be set for life if we leave her here, though. Set how? Indentured to a bunch of corporate monsters? A brain slave shoved into a lab somewhere and left to rot? What kind of life is that? To, I want her to have adventures and love and problems, not just work and existential despair. Kuhn had been flinging his hands around wildly to punctuate his words. The wrench went flying and clanged down a set of maintenance stairs, loud in the sudden stillness. Both men watched it spin out and come to rest. She's not you, Kuhn. They wouldn't hurt her, Ten finally said, moving to put his hands on Kuhn's shoulders. I know you had a bad experience with these people, but this is Martina suggesting it. And Gia's not some orphan. She's not alone. She's got family. She's got a name. She's old enough to make her own decisions. They wouldn't be able to do... To do that to her. Kuhn averted his face, but Ten already knew what the expression was on it. Not everyone gets saved, Ten, he whispered. If you hadn't been there, I'd... Well, he swallowed. I said, I vote no. She can stay dumb and free with us. She's not going to be dumb, said Ten, moving to hug Kuhn from behind. Kuhn hated people to see his face when he was upset, and Ten could feel his unhappiness radiating out in massive waves. But we do need to figure out how to get her around more people. It's not good for her to be so alone all the time, even if she does stay with us. What's so bad about being alone, anyway? asked Kuhn quietly, as if joking. But Ten could hear the sadness underneath, a familiar sadness that jabbed him every time. 
At least being alone means you don't have to get hurt. You're not alone, Kim. The other man didn't say anything, only let his hands rest on Ten's forearms and dropped his head. Ten pretended not to feel him shaking. Gia tried very hard not to run. The overgrown jungle that was the habitation and residential sections were busy today. Long streams of people wound their way through the complex phytotechnologies that created a living garden all around them. Walkways and pedestrian paths bridged over trees and soils cultivated from human waste, and a kaleidoscope of old earth species swung from branches and crawled along the station expanse. She was stuck behind an auntie and a million kids, and she hopped from foot to foot with impatience, not even distracted by the monkeys swinging past them. Grandma May had given her some credits to go pick up the new volume of Devil Line, whom she'd already gotten Yona. Papa Kuhn said that Manga was going to rot her brain, and she hoped so. But this lady is so slow. She took an opportunity to dart through the crowds and slip onto the observation deck out of the flow of people for a moment. Grandma had said it was some kind of festival today and that she didn't want to go out, but she'd given Gia cash and permission to get whatever she wanted at the bookstore. Whatever she wanted. Maybe, maybe a romance? Gia blushed to herself. She'd have to hide it. Papa Kuhn would never let her read that. Dimly, she could hear the sound of drums starting from somewhere deep within the sector zone, and the swell of people seemed to increase. The first of a masked player band jumped into the crowd. They wore demon masks and had long hair that swished and flung as they leapt from the sides of the walkways, just like the monkeys above. She laughed and clapped with the rest of the crowd. The boys jumped in front of children, scaring them, making their parents laugh before leaping away. One of the smaller ones was leaping from platform to platform, making the crowd ooh and ah. People gasped as he grabbed, grabbed tree branches and vines, swinging himself around the crowd. For a moment, even she was captivated. He wore red silk and a dragon mask, and he dropped and rolled in front of the auntie Gia had been following, impressively acrobatically. The auntie clapped her hands and handed him candies as a reward, and he whooped and leapt back into the air, running along tree branches and flipping down into the crowd. She couldn't take her eyes off him and gasped like everyone else when his foot slipped and he tumbled into the shrubbery below her. She crawled up the walkway walls and leaned down, peering into the greenery to find him. The boy was twisted up in vines, hanging upside down in the bottom of the jungle, swaying slowly, unhurt, but also very stuck. He strained to reach his feet and the knot holding them, but ended up just swaying a little. She could hear expletives coming from down below, sounds that only Daddy Ten made when things really weren't going well. For some reason, it made her feel more relaxed. She slipped through the crowds to a maintenance stairwell and made her way towards the boy through the jungle. It wasn't far, but the dense foliage, heat, and humidity had her sweating by the time she got to him. He seemed bigger when she was looking up at him from the ground, and she felt her familiar shyness creeping through her again, making her throat feel like cotton. He was thin, coltish, with a close-shaved head and deep black skin, the blue-black that happened after a major UV exposure from staying near the bright side of the station. The light reflected off high cheekbones and liquid brown eyes. He smiled at her and she felt worse. Hi, pretty lady, he called out to her. I don't suppose you have anything that can get me out of here. His voice sounded like it was laughing at her, but his eyes looked kind and he kept his voice gentle just for her. It was unusual for someone to do that, especially a boy. I sort of need a hand over here, yeah? She didn't say anything. He was hanging close enough to one of the trees that she could climb up and cut it from one of the branches since he was too high up for her to help him from the, the ground. Yeah, he chuckled to himself, slowly twisting in the air. 
Don't know what I was thinking, not bringing a pocket knife. Too excited to perform. Did you see me? Wasn't I great? He sighed happily. This is the first time I've gotten to wear the dragon mask, too, and they loved it. Ugh, Zell was so jealous. Sucker. If I hadn't slipped... Gia tuned him out and climbed up the nearest tree, sinking her feet into the roots and hollows and scampering up to one of the branches that reached out towards the boy, tuning out his constant flow of words. She'd never met someone who talked so much. She produced her own pocket knife and started sawing. There you go. Look at you, you little princess, carrying your pocket knife so prepared. My name's Eli. What's your name? Aren't you just the cutest thing? Your mama is going to be so proud of you with your standard-issued bio-suit and standard-on-person-carry kit. God, she's such a good girl. Please be quiet, she managed, not quite understanding why she felt vaguely insulted, but not willing to put up with it any more than strictly necessary. And please sit up a little. The vine is about to break, and I don't want you to hurt your head. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for helping me like this. Did you see me? Did you see the whole crowd? I was so into it. I was like, whoosh, pow, bam. He gestured happily, making the vine sway more and helping weaken it as Gia sawed. She didn't say anything, but she liked the way his words flowed around her. He was so happy, playful. It felt nice, kind of like being around Daddy Ten. She relaxed a little as there was a snick, and the boy plunged the ten feet or so down to the bottom of the habitat. Whoop! He yelled, leaping back to his feet, kicking off vines in a series of flips and cartwheels that promptly ran him into a tree and dropped him back on his butt. Gia made her way down to him again, pulling his hand away from his head authoritatively and examining for cuts and bruises. You are fine, probably, she said seriously, staring deeply at his pupils that were equal round. It doesn't look like you have a concussion or anything serious. She held up a finger and moved it back and forth in front of his face. Watch my finger with your eyes only, please. Try not to move your head. He grabbed her hand instead and kissed her fingers playfully, ignoring her. Look at you, little mother. So serious. Of course I'm fine. It's a festival day. No one can get hurt on a festival day. It's a rule. Well, if not, it should be. He flung his arms apart jubilantly, smacking her lightly in his excitement. He didn't seem to notice. Thank you for saving me. I have to get back. I wouldn't want to miss any of the fun. But your mask, she said a little weakly, taking it back by his energy. Are all station boys this energetic, she thought? Don't you need it to perform? Oh, hell no. The mask just makes it more fun. Besides, people want to see me, because I'm amazing and so cute. He laughed and flipped himself off the ground, leaping towards the tree to climb up and back towards the pedestrian bridge. Thanks, kid. You're a lifesaver. Have a great moon festival. She watched him shimmy up the vegetation in the walkways, running along the platforms until he caught up with the rest of the procession. She glanced at the stairway, that was closer, and easier, and much more convenient, and at the dragon mask that was conveniently located just a few steps from where he'd taken it off. She shook her head and collected the mask. The crowds were still thick and disorganized, still blocking the main walkway. She hopped up the stairs, past the walkway, past the observation deck, heading towards the stellar platform, even higher. A small family was already there, watching the line of costume dancers and teenagers and young men still dancing through the walkways, and the heavy wagons getting pulled through the walkways as the drums intensified. They smiled at her, but were busy with their own world. Gia smiled back and ducked towards the viewport. The dancers were pretty, but they did the same movements over and over again, not like the acrobats, and not like the boy. She liked their red silk costumes and the mask and the way the drums rumbled around her insides like engine chatter on ship. It was soothing and familiar, but also unique and very different. 
She ran her fingers over the lacquer mask she held in her hand. Raw colors and long ribbons stared back at her with open teeth. Instead of looking frightening, though, it looked happy, a happy dragon, like the boy. She tied it to the little pouch resting on her hip, brushing her fingers against it just to make sure it was secure. She wanted to keep it safe. The procession was still going strong. She craned her neck to see the boy, but couldn't see anything other than the musicians and the wagons carrying some kind of shrine. Excited exclamations from the crowd ahead probably meant he was far out in front of this section of the procession. She turned towards the stars after a few minutes, waiting for them to pass. Rigel was in alignment with Cygnus One from this angle. Gia could see the swirling clouds and the yellow tinge of the atmosphere. She had just read about it. Greenhouse effect. The drums were close now, and she could hear flute music and the swell of the crowd. She sighed, impatient for the bookstore, and pressed her face against the silica-based crystalline membrane separating the observation deck from the rest of the station, idly holding the dragon mask against her body. Black metallic hexagons filled with liquid crystal insulated them from the rest of the solar system. Gia had read about station design. It was fascinating, all based on a 20th century technology from a research project near what had been Oracle, Arizona. Oracle. She rolled the word around her tongue. It seemed appropriate somehow. Across her vision, a sudden black ribbon speared across the sky. Black, but somehow bright enough to make her blink her eyes shut. She pressed her hands over them as an image seemed to burn through her retinas. A long tear, a scar of brilliant blackness sucking up the light as if it could suck out her eyes just by viewing it. The image didn't fade away. After a moment, she tried to open her eyes again, seeing the familiar yellow-brown earth of Rigel. There was no scar, no hint that anything had happened. She pressed her face to the glass, scrubbing her eyes to make them see more clearly, but there was nothing. Maybe I just imagined it, she thought. No, no, it was there, I know it. The winding stream of people had started to ease. The drums were moving off towards a new section of the zone. She couldn't see the costume dancers or hear the flutes anymore. Gia stood up, putting her hand against the viewport, staring out into the system for a moment. I'll ask Papa Coon. He'll know. Look, I'm not saying that you have to move here permanently. Thank you, baby, said Grandma May as Tendaji handed her a cup of tea. I'm just saying that this is the second event that's stolen ships out near Rigel. The second one. No one knows what's causing it, not even the cats. With Gia's education and now this, why not stay here for a little while? Kuhn rolled his eyes and waved his hand lazily, belying his anxiousness that Ten could feel from across the room. May, if one of these events happened at Cygnus, 20% of the human race would be right, wiped out instantly. It'd be the end of everyone. It wouldn't matter if we were here or out on the ship. He'd taken a deceptively relaxed posture on the couch, his ankle braced on the opposite knee, arms out over the cushion, back comfortably steadied against the corner, taking up most of the surface area. Ten settled back next to him, depositing the tea set on the coffee table and leaning against his extended shoulder. Ten could feel the tension running throughout his partner. He patted Kuhn's knee comfortingly. Now you don't know that, Kuhn, May said, sniffing her teacup appreciatively with eyes closed. At least if you were here, we could all be together. And Gia's education. Think of the opportunities. What about her education? I'm not selling her out to some corporate station master, federal R&D group, Coon. Growled Coon. Never. May, you don't know. She waved him quiet and took a sip, ignoring Coon's seething glance. 
I understand your opinions on the R&D group, thank you very much, but she'd be set for life. Kunihiro, she would have guaranteed citizenship, habitation permits, breeding authorization, all those things other people have to work so hard for, and she'd have them at ten years old. You can't just walk away from that. Ten could hear Kun's jaw snap shut and could feel him withdrawing from the conversation. He caught one of Kun's hands to massage soothing circles into the palm until the tension eased a little. Mom, he broke in. Gia may be a little young to be thinking about needing a breeding permit. Besides, we haven't even talked to the R&D group. The open positions might be a totally bad fit for her. She doesn't even have a clue what she's interested in right now. Besides the trash you give her to read, muttered Kuhn, not making eye contact. May's eyes narrowed and she opened her mouth as if to respond. Easy there, everyone, Tendabi said. We agreed that she needed some fiction in her life, Kuhn. Some stories for socialization and so that she didn't study all the time. Kuhn, that was even your idea. Don't pick a fight with mom just because you're upset with her and you don't like the story she picks. Kuhn huffed and turned his face away but didn't argue. That's better. Yes, Mom, we're going to go meet some of the people Martina recommended for us, but we think it would be better for Gia to stay on the ship with us. Regardless of all these black hole events or spaghettification incidents or whatever else the news is calling them, I mean, I can't keep up at this point. Most of them seem to be near planets anyway, and you know the courier routes only go near a planet for the gravity boost between station ports. Kuhn's more than smart enough to figure out alternate navigation routes to avoid needing those as much as possible. Right, love? Ten tried to meet Kuhn's eyes, smiling at him encouragingly. The other man grumbled and refused to engage. Yes, he finally said, with enough pressure from Ten's emotions. There. See, we'll be fine, Mom, and we'll make sure that Gia stays in contact with these people so she can make a more informed decision when she's ready to pick a discipline or decide what she wants herself. This whole thing is probably R&D's fault anyway, muttered Kuhn. They were messing with faster-than-light travel when I left, and it was turning into a shit show. And that was 11 years ago. I'm sure it's their fault. Goddamn station masters and their god complexes. Hush, said May. We're only alive because of the station masters. There's no need for that attitude. Hey, you didn't work for them. That's just what they want you to think, mumbled Kuhn. Bunch of power-hungry, privacy-invading, scum-sucking leeches. Kuhn a hero. May was trembling, her teacup wobbling in her hands. Stop it! You're going to get us put on a watch list. Don't forget, it's just Ten's cat blood that keeps you a citizen and all, and not indentured to corporate. He's the only reason you weren't dumped on an asteroid work crew a decade ago and left to die. Kuhn winced at his full name. He hated it. Ten sighed at the waves of emotion crashing around him. So much drama. He kept massaging Kuhn's hand, feeling his whole body tighten, muscles starting to shake as if he was going to bolt. Like I could ever forget how... Kuhn's voice was hoarse, and the words seemed pressed from someplace inside him, slow and awful. Ten leaned into his body, pinning him more deeply into the couch, wordlessly comforting and cutting him off. Mom, lay off him. He held up a conciliatory hand. I'm so glad that you love me enough to be concerned, and I'm so glad that Gia has you in her life to look out for her. I mean, we'll come back often, but, but Kuhn and I have made up our minds, and we don't need any pressure from you. We think this is best for Gia and for us. I'm not pressuring you, Tendaji, said his mother. I just want to make sure you boys are considering everything before you make a decision. I would never dream of trying to pressure you. Kuhn snorted. 
May turned up her nose, ignoring him, and ostentatiously took another sip of tea. Ken felt his jaw click in the tension and tried to ignore the headache that was trying to set up shop in his brain. Yes, of course, Mother. We really appreciate you letting us know about all these things and discussing them with us. Ken felt Coon open his mouth and lean forward. He rammed an elbow into his partner's ribcage. Coon coughed and subsided. Gia, sweetheart, he said, seeing the little girl on the precipice of the habitation area. When did you get back? The little girl was standing at the entrance awkwardly. A little while ago. She was holding a book bag and covered in dirt, leaves, and sweat. Why is everyone so angry? Why are we so angry? Why are you so dirty? What did you do? Fight someone for the last volume? Kuhn asked, surprised when Gia's face turned contemplative. Seriously, Gia, he asked again. Did you get in a fight? Are you hurt? No, no, no. She turned to put the books on the kitchen counter, showing the dragon mask tied to her waist. Nice mask, kiddo, said Ten, immediately picking up on it, cocking his head to the side and feeling a ghost of something new coming from his daughter. A feeling he'd never felt from her. A connection with another person. His skin felt tingly with it. Did you make a friend today? She touched the mask with one hand, angling her body to shield it as if she didn't want other people to notice it. Maybe, she said finally. There was a boy, well, a teenager, at the festival. She glanced at the adults, seeing various shades of surprise and interest from her family. It's not a big deal. I'm going to go put these in my room. She slipped out, clutching the mask more closely to her body. Well, said May finally. A friend. A boy, said Ten. A festival, said Coon. What day is it anyway? I made mooncakes, said May. Pretend you like them. Coon wrinkled his nose in distaste and Ten elbowed him again, a little more gently. May sighed. Your mother is impossible, shouted Coon the moment they were back on the ship. Gia safely tucked up with her grandmother after dinner. All that lecturing. I just want to make sure you boys have considered everything. Seriously? Seriously? Does she even know who I am? Brain the size of a planet and she's lecturing me on what to do for my kid? Like I'm too dumb to know the consequences? And a boy? A boy? I'm almost 50 Christ's sakes, for Christ's sakes. She doesn't get to call me boy. Ten rubbed his forehead and followed Coon into the ship, closing the docking bay behind him. You're only 46. You don't even have gray hair yet. Don't be so dramatic. She's just concerned for us, Coon. She loves us. She loves you and Gia. She hates me. She's hated me since the moment you brought me home. Kunahiro. Who the fuck calls me Kunahiro? Except for you, when you're annoyed with me. And how does she manage to annoy me within five minutes of sitting in her living room? How is that possible? I can calculate navigation trajectories in my head, effortlessly manipulate the laws of time and space, and your mother manages to reduce me to a sniveling teenage brat within five minutes. Well, she's a gifted woman, said Ten, locking the bay and reporting to the portmaster that the ship was reoccupied as he gently decoupled the life support bridge from the station and reverted it to ship support only. Coon had already stripped off his biosuit and thrown it across the room to decon, to the decon and cleaning chamber by the time Ten made it to the ship's center. Ten diligently placed it in the laundry compartment for processing and took a moment to admire an angry, naked Coon striding through the hallway toward their room. Where does she get off telling us how to raise Gia anyway? She's not telling us how to raise her, said Ten, settling himself into the kitchen for another cup of tea. If Coon was going to be in a fit for a while, he might as well try to relax somewhat. She's right that it's a great opportunity for her. Hell, you said the same thing. 
That was different, came the muffled response. I'm allowed to say that. I was part of R&D. I know what I'm talking about. Nay wasn't. There's no need to get this upset about it. No need. No need, he says. After a moment, Coon reappeared in his favorite shipboard loose clothing. Pants rolled up, light cotton shirt with sleeves rolled to the elbow, and dropped into the seat across from Ten. She's a terror, your mother. And what's with the scare tactics about all these black holes? As if I don't know they're dangerous. Well, they are new, and Gia's description of what she saw would be pretty terrifying. If that's what she actually saw, said Coon in a huff, I'm not sure it's the same thing. It could have been something as simple as an antimatter burst from Lunar Station. They do that to clear out the space junk and asteroids all the time. Hmm, said Ten noncommittally. Except Lunar Station would have been in the wrong position for that. And we've seen those before. They've come over the comm to warn ships. I didn't hear any standard notifications. Did you? And when have you had to show or tell Gia what anything was twice? Wouldn't she have known what that was? I know, I know. Probably the same thing. Coon winced and looked down at his hands. I don't like it. I don't... He stopped. You don't want anything to happen to us, and you're afraid that no one knows what these events are, and we won't be able to avoid them. You're afraid for us, said Ten. Coon nodded, still not making eye contact. You're afraid Mom is right and that we should stay on station, but you're terrified of being trapped here. Is that right? Another nod. And you don't want to admit that there's something you can't think your way out of, and you resent the fact that Mom brought up your citizenship. Right? Coon glared at him. You know goddamn well that I hate having to rely on you for that. Ten nodded, feeling the comforting warmth of his tea seeping through the mug his hands were wrapped around. It wasn't his mother's lovely china, nor her expertly cultivated green tea varieties flown from Jupiter Station at tremendous expense, but he could see the comfort in having the ritual. Yeah. Coon, I love you. It doesn't matter to me. I'd do it again in a heartbeat, and I'll tell you that every time you decide to get weird about it. Stupid marriage license, muttered Coon, his face red. Mm-hmm, said Ten, leaning his chin on one hand. He hated to bring this up, but Coon was the only one that would be able to understand anything out of the central records, though he'd probably bitch about it. Coon, he stopped, trying to think of a gentle way to suggest his idea. Coon gave him a droll look. You want me to go to Central and pull the sunshine records for these black hole events, don't you? You want me to see if I can trace patterns or precursors so we can avoid them? Right? Ten's lips twitched. God bless intelligent men. Yes. But not if it's going to make you unhappy or uncomfortable. You know I'd go for you, but I don't know what search parameters to use or how to get into the database or even what the results would mean. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'll go. Coon laid his head down on his forehand forearms, surprisingly childlike. It's worth seeing if my clearance still works anyway. If Gia hadn't seen one today. Were you serious when you said we'd all die within a week if one opened up on Cygnus? Ten felt something cold and shivery tracing its way through his gut. Just a week? Yes, said Coon. You don't have the supplies or the tech to go back planet side. The stations are the only things that can generate enough oxygen and resources to keep us flying. And Cygnus 1 and 2 are the big ones. Anything that could take even a part of them out would shut down resupply. We'd die. Coon's black head was facing away from him, but Ten could picture his cold expression. After all, once upon a time, Coon had been the chief engineer for Cygnus. And if anyone would know, he would. Ten shuddered.
Gia could hear Grandma May snoring. The walls of the habitat were actual paper, meant more for the illusion of privacy, not actual walls. She stared up at the warm wood from her futon, thinking about black holes and the brown-yellow planet. There was something she needed to remember, something important that Papa Clue needed to know. But it refused to come out of her brain. She knew Papa Clue and Grandma didn't get along. She could feel the tension, but there was something new there tonight. She wished Daddy was around. Ten would have let her crawl into bed with him and ask questions. Why is everyone so mad? Why do we have to do something special? What am I? Am I really special? Why? What does R&D want me to do? Do you still love me? Do you want me to go away? Daddy would tell her the truth. He would make her feel better. She threw off the comforter and stood on the tatami, almost reaching for the light and a book. She stopped. She didn't want to be awake, not really. She just kept seeing the jagged black scar and imagining what it would be like to be out in the tiny ship with her parents, staring at it, eating space, alone and afraid. She shuddered. So dark it burns, she thought again. Instead of a book, her hand drifted to the dragon mask, its colors blurred and dulled in the artificial darkness. She liked it better when they decreased the transparency of the EM shield and let the station sit in night to boost power generation during off hours. Papa Clune had explained it to her. She liked the way everything felt cooler, the way the plants seemed to breathe out, the way it felt more private and more still. The dragon seemed to laugh at her with its big red tongue hanging out, fangs and eyebrows like a happy face. A riot of colors she could picture from this afternoon, friendly, welcoming. It made her feel something, better, somehow. And the boy, or the young man, or something in between the two. She'd never seen anyone happy like him, so carefree. Thinking about him made her feel better as well. She went back to her futon, clutching the mask close to her, and fell back asleep. Gia rubbed her eyes and blinked to stand in the entrance to her grandma's kitchen, holding the mask like an awkward stuffed animal. It always was hard to get up in the morning, especially when the dreams were like that. Good morning, kiddo, said her daddy, moving around the kitchen, waving her over with a spatula. Your grandma's not up either. I figured I'd get a head start on both of you and came over early. Daddy, she sniffled, feeling tears starting as she remembered her nightmares and all the insecurities from yesterday. Dad, and rushed over to press her face into him. Hey, what's this? She felt him turn off appliances and drop his hands to her shoulders, cradling her head. Bad dreams, love? Did something upset you? The usual flood of peacefulness and safety that surrounded him made her cry harder. She felt him lift her up and carry her over to the couch. Aw, there, there, baby. Let it out. What's going on with you today? He shifted her on his lap as he sat down, rocking slightly and making soothing circles on her back. I swear, you and your papa. Geniuses have a lot going on in their heads all the time, huh? Maybe it crowds out how to manage your feelings? Is that what happened? He said it gently, not really expecting an answer, just talking quietly so she could feel the rumble in his chest and cry without feeling self-conscious. Oh, just let it all out. Yep, that's a good girl. Was it from yesterday's conversation? All that stress? Did you bottle that up too, my little Einstein? Maybe you were remembering what you saw out on the window? That's a lot to deal with for one day. And all those people at the festival, huh? There we go. Let it out, love. Your papa was upset last night, too. I'm sorry we didn't think that you'd feel it as well. It's okay, baby. There, there. 
She blubbered into his shirt, feeling all her tension leaking out, soothed and relaxed slowly by his rocking. She could sense Grandma enter the room, and she turned her face to her daddy's other so shoulder so she wouldn't have to look at her. Gia, what's... Oh, no, Ma, it's okay. She just had a little bit of a reaction to yesterday. Too much going on for her. You know how sensitive she is. Too much? It was just a festival. And a spatial phenomenon, and adults fighting, and interacting with a stranger. His rocking didn't stop. Gia felt herself going limp and the tears easing the longer her father rubbed her back. That's a lot for her. Oh, that's a lot for Kuhn. You see why we don't want to stay on station too much? Oh, she'll learn to get over it. She... Mom, no one learns to get over it any more than I can learn to get over being a half-breed or having brown hair. They just learn how to not cry in public. Maybe we'll take her back to the ship tonight to give her a break. Gia gripped his shirt and he noticed. No? Ken leaned down. You want to stay with Grandma? Gia nodded. He shrugged. Okay, kiddo. You're the boss. Maybe you and Grandma can just read today. Maybe go to the gardens if you're feeling up for it. Gia relaxed her grip and settled back against her father, twisting her fist in his shirt and closing her eyes. Oh, that's fine. I need to run some errands at the guild and check in on the ship's repairs with Kuhn anyway. We can make it a quiet day. Mom, you okay with keeping it mellow today? I brought her journal this morning. She forgot it last night. Gia felt his body gesture towards the kitchen. See if she wants to write a little today. Otherwise, Kuhn and I will be back for dinner. Is that all right? Oh, of course, baby. Gia, honey, are you feeling better? Can Grandma make you some tea? Gia nodded again. Her father brushed her hair back and kept rocking gently. There, there. Good girl. Better? You want to tell me about it? She shook her head. Come on, kiddo. You know the rules. You got to tell us where it hurts so we can help you, huh? She opened her mouth, but the words felt like they were stuck in her throat. She closed it again. Oh, I see. That's all right, Gia. Just say one little thing. It doesn't have to be all of it. Just start with something small. What's on your mind? Blackness, she said, whispering. Just black, cold. I thought about it a lot. Ah, Ken said, keeping up the rocking and soothing motions of his hand. Yeah, that's scary, all right. And I bet it didn't help to hear us talking about it like it was no big deal, huh? No, she said. No, I was thinking of being out in the ship, of being eaten. I kept, see the, kept seeing the blackness. That is scary. And Papa said we would all die. Yes, he did. Only, I didn't see what I saw. I saw something bigger. It was eating the station, but it wasn't this station. I was older, a lot older, and something terrible happened to you and Papa. The rocking paused as Ken sifted through all that. This was a dream? Gia, did you dream this? Yes, but it didn't feel like a dream. She pulled, her, she pulled herself closer to him, reassured to feel his heartbeat. My heart hurt, like something awful was happening, like we were all going to be eaten by cold and blackness. All of us? You and me and your papa? No, Gia shut her eyes tighter. All of us. Like, I could feel all these people around me screaming, Daddy. There was screaming and pain everywhere. I just couldn't shut it out. Gia's hands crept up to her ears as if that would stop the images and the feelings of something in her chest ripping in two. It, it hurt. She could feel herself starting to cry again as the ghost of the pain started up in her chest, 
Her father started moving again, steadying her with a familiar pattern. Easy, easy, kiddo. Yeah, that's a lot. Too much excitement yesterday, I think. It's okay. It's just a dream. Everyone is safe. You're safe. But his voice had a slight edge to it. Her grandmother had stopped moving too, listening to her story. Kandaji, I know, Mom, I know. If she's as sensitive, I know, Mom, it's okay. Gia could feel him consciously relaxing all of his tension to make her feel better. You know better than anyone how to help a sensitive kid, Mom. We'll just leave this alone for now. Gia, baby, you're safe. None of that was real. You can relax, okay? Ten had captured her chin so he could rub his face along her cheek and snuggle her. Grandma's going to take care of you, all right? Tell Grandma if you have any other weird feelings or dreams like that one. Daddy. Gia grasped his arms as he tried to lift her off him. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you upset. Please don't go. Oh, I'm not upset, sweetie. He pulled her back into a hug. I'm not upset at all. You feel me getting nervous, right? You feel anxiousness around you? Gia nodded. None of that is your fault, okay? You didn't do any of that. She felt affection and kindness wrapping around her, blocking out the anxiety and making her relax again. See? Me and your grandma are right here, and we love you, and everything is okay. Me and your papa are going to go learn more about that blackness. And what does your papa say about information? Knowledge is the antidote to fear, she whispered. Yep. We're going to go figure some things out. You and Grandma relax here, and we'll come talk to you when we find something, okay? Okay. He pressed a kiss to her forehead and gently settled her alone on the couch, standing up and stretching with a deep breath. Mom, thank you. I'm sorry I didn't finish breakfast, but I feel like I need to go talk to Kuhn. We may be cutting our visit a little short. Of course. No, no, I understand. She gave him a deeply compassionate glance. Oh, Ten, if she got your gift, and Coons. He laughed, but it was a little forced. There are worse things, sure, but to have both my looks and my gift? Oof, poor kid got the short end of the stick. His smile faded. You know the deal, Mom. We'll be back tonight. Gia, kiddo, me and Papa will be back soon, and we'll talk about this, okay? Try to relax. I brought you one of Martina's new books on water treatment in case you need a distraction, okay? Gia perked up. Thank you, Daddy. Ten hugged his mother quickly and left before Gia could pick up on his own concerns anymore. Kuhn, Kuhn, stop. Wait up. Ten couldn't keep pace with Kuhn's long strides, and the other man seemed to be channeling his pent-up energies into practically running through the engineering section of the Mocklet. Kuhn, seriously, please, you have to slow down. I have to talk to you. Ten gasped a little. He was not in great shape. Moments like this made him feel that very keenly. Please, God, Coon, I am too old to chase you anymore. Coon snorted. It's not what you said last night. Besides, I thought you were going with Gia to the R&D section. Ten tried very, very hard not to be amused. He mostly succeeded. That's what I have to talk to you about. Oh, for the love of... Ten stopped, wheezing out of patience and seeing a small cafe off the main walkway. It looked cool and shady, partially set into the clerestories of one of the gardens. Fine, he called after his husband. If you're in a snit and don't want to talk to me, then I'm going to take a break here. Come back when you're ready to talk. He slipped into the shade and found a table. 
He could just picture Kareem standing frustrated and annoyed outside, waiting for him to come back out so he could vent his temper more. Not today, lover, thought Ten, pursing his lips and ordering an iced tea. I have reached my quota on Kareem hissy fits. He relaxed against the chair, watching the reflections of the solar mirrors filtered through the air-purifying jungle trees. He never bargained on getting to deal with two emotionally challenged geniuses. One was bad enough. The air smelled green and wet, humid in the light. It was very pleasant. The waiter smiled at him as he dropped off the iced tea a moment later. Ten glanced at his watch. Hmm, five whole minutes of trying not to care that he's upset me, noted Ten as the familiar, slender, black-haired man made his way towards the table. I must be losing my touch, or else he's getting better at fighting the urge. Kareem scowled at him. This is a waste of time, Ten. Sit down, lover. Relax. I need to talk to you. You could have just walked with me. I wanted to get to Central Library early since I've got an appointment with one of the mechanics. He'll wait, Ten said, and patted the chair next to him. Sit. Hmm. Kroon sat down across from him, crossing his arms and glaring at him. Fine, I'm here. What? Ten sipped his tea and shook his head. You have no subtlety. You know that, right? I never claimed any. Ten shook his head. Yeah, you've got me there. Why are we here, Ten? I have things to do. Ten sighed and went for the shock and awe approach, impatient with Kuhn's attitude. She is a sensitive. Kuhn looked stunned. What? His arms fell to his sides. No. Ten nodded. Pretty sure. She's got all the signs and she's getting to the right age. No, said Kuhn again. No, that's not possible. Ten gave a ghost of a chuckle. I should know, if anyone should. We can take her to med to confirm, but I'm pretty sure she's got the gift. Yours? asked Kuhn, warily rubbing his forehead. Ten could feel it starting to ache as if it was his own head. Probably, although she may have a touch of Mom's precog, we, we don't know. How? Dreams. Started bawling when I went over there this morning, claiming to feel people dying, images of the black thing, all kinds of stuff. Oh, no. I know. Ten paused. The silence felt heavy. He could feel Kuhn's distress echoing his own. Poor kid. Your brain and my heart. We couldn't have done worse for her. Kuhn groaned. Bad enough she tested so high in IQ. It never occurred to me that her EQ was because of being a sensitive. Ten, she's unemployable. Literally. How is she ever going to be around people? What are we going to do with her? I don't know. Ten hesitated. R&D might be the only place for her after all. I mean, ugh, don't remind me, interrupted Kuhn quickly. Ten bit down on the words he was going to say. Most human sensitives suicided without proper help. He hadn't wanted to say it, he hadn't wanted to say it out loud. My poor baby, he thought. Why didn't you tell me earlier, asked Kuhn. Probably the same reason you didn't want to tell me her test results, Ten replied. Besides, it just happened this morning. Ten leaned back to close his eyes again. The only place for her to stay is on station, but if we leave her here, she may well go insane or suicide. She needs station master resources, but can't handle the cost of being one of them. She has enough mental horsepower to do any job on station, but is so emotionally fragile she can't tolerate being around people for any length of time. Oh, Coon, all of our options suck, lover. I want to leave, Ten. 
Let's get out of here. Let's go back to the black where she can just be a kid and all she has to worry about is dealing with you and me. Hell, that's why we picked courier service in the first place. I agree, said Tim. I mean, I just figured we should talk before you finish resupplying contracts. I mean, this will change things. We'll need to stay away from stations for a while until she gets control or at least comfortable with the new brain. Med service should have some training tools, I think. And, and you, Kuhn, my love, my heart, you have got to control yourself around her. Please, I know you like to get riled up about things, but you've gotten spoiled with me. I can filter you out after all these years, but Gia's going to feel all your emotions that much more, and it's going to be very annoying to have two of you on the ship. Fuck, said Coon. Mm-hmm. So your mom saying that she wanted to keep us on station. Yeah? Was that a vision or whatever? Coon choked the work word out with all the grace of an annoyed scientist. It had taken him years to believe in Ten's gift, much less precognition. He still wasn't really on board. Even though the gifts were a recognized class of sensitivity, especially common among cattle and human hybrids, at least according to the diagnostic manual. And, Tem thought wryly, everyone knows if it's in a book, it must be true. Just a hint of irritation at Kuhn's literal nature. No, it was not a vision. She'd tell us if it was. She just wanted her family close by. Family. Coon rolled it over his tongue as if it was the same as a vision. An unsubstantiated condition, poorly defined, governed by outdated social conventions with negative second and third order consequences. Coon had said that to him when Ten had told him he loved him the first time. Lord save me. Why do I love this man? He thought with rueful affection. I could have picked a nice, normal boy from a good family, but no. At least I'm carrying on a proud family tradition. I wonder if great-grandparent Chaos felt like this. Ten motioned the waiter over, seeing that Coon was preoccupied in thought. One scotch and a big bowl of mac and cheese, please, he said. Very good, sir. Coon frowned. I'm not hungry. Who said it was for you? Besides, yes, you are. Ten rearranged the small table to accommodate the addition of plates and silverware. You just haven't realized it yet since you're too upset. And the hunger's making you more upset. And it's annoying me, so eat something. You're annoying, said Coon, nonetheless starting to relax back in the chair. I may have forgotten to eat today, sure. I know, said Ten. And just think, now you are going to have two irritating loved ones knowing everything about you all the time, and you say there's no God. Sounds like he has a pretty good sense of humor at this point. Ugh, said Coon. I can't wait. Gia was almost lulled to sleep by the feel of the garden, the wind chimes, the gentle air currents from the life support turnover systems. Grandma May already was. Her book had fallen to her chest and she was snoring comfortably. Gia felt her own eyes heavy and relaxed. The Department of Education's gardens were large enough that there weren't too many people around, and she and Grandma had gotten a perfect spot next to the waterfall and sculptured garden. The sound of water harmonized with the wind chimes and she felt herself drifting until something familiar caught her attention, a whiff of happiness and energy that sent little frizzles down her spine. A boy. Her eyes flew open and she sat up searching for him. A clean whistle above her head drew her gaze upward. He was hanging upside down from a tree branch just overhead. Hey, Squirt, he said, smiling at her. You come here often? 
Yes, she said, smoothing her baggy clothes a little and staring at a spot about eight inches to the side of his head. The Department of Education has a great library, and gardens are supposed to be very good for developing. Ha, said interrupting. It's a little baby nerd. Look at it with its red face and all. It's so cute. She scowled at him, but he felt so happy she couldn't keep it up for long. He beamed at her. I was just passing by, and I see my savior napping, and I thought, I have to go say hello to the kid, because it wouldn't be right not to, and here we are. My name's Eli. You can call me Eli. He stuck out his hand to her. She took it gingerly, delicately extracting it after he shook it too hard and tried not to show that he'd hurt her fingers. I, I know your name. You told it to me the last time we met. Eli is an odd name, though. What's your last name? She said, searching her memory for sociocultural meanings of Eli. He scratched his neck and looked awkward. Weaver, which is even weirder. Well, that's not weird, she said slowly. He tweaked her nose. Now you know. Lighten up, squirt. There won't be a test on it. Don't worry. There are tests on people's names? She looked confused, missing, missing the joke. Of course not. Man, you nerds need to get out more. He did a couple small crunches and flung himself up to catch the branch and flip himself over to land in front of her. Ta-da! He said, posing as if at a gymnastics competition. You're supposed to clap, squirt. She did. He took a bow. Actually, it's lucky that I ran into you. He took a quick, covert, conspiratorial look around the garden. See, I might be in just a little bit of trouble, and it would mean the world to me if you would just happen to say that I was with you for, oh, maybe 30 minutes this afternoon. Maybe from about 30 minutes ago to right now, say. Why? She said. Oh, no reason. Just think of it as another time you saved me in my knight in shining armor. He smiled at her, and she felt something pressing against her senses something like warm sunshine and happiness that made her want to agree with everything he said. Why are you doing that? She asked, curious as she felt herself responding to him. What? Making me feel all happy and relaxed. His eyes perked up as he leaned closer to her. You felt that? She nodded. Neat. Well, I do apologize, Miss Sirius. There was the sound of adult voices from somewhere deeper in the gardens, closer to the education classrooms. And I just remember, I have to be someplace. Super important. But if you'd like to say that I was with you from approximately, he glanced at his suit timer, 1415 to 1530, you would have my undying gratitude. He gave her another beatific smile. Since you're my savior and all. One more quick favor? One sensitive to another? His eyes were pretty, she thought, not realizing she was looking at them until he winked at her. He frowned. Fine. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, you're such a smart girl. You're just the best. He ruffled her hair familiar, familiarly and leapt back into the trees as she tried to half-heartedly comb it back. Thank you, Squirt, he shouted at her from the top, running across branches back out to the clerestory of the main walkway, up one level. She felt herself smiling after him. As he disappeared, two out-of-shape ed education constables wheezed into view, breathing hard. One immediately put his hands on his knees and took deep breaths. Excuse me, miss, said the other, in between gasps. Don't suppose you've seen a boy come through here about yay tall, thin, fast, moves like a monkey, extremely annoying. Uh, no, sir, said Gia. You heard a boy, said the other one with his hands on his knees. Who? 
Oh, it's just been me, my grandma, and my cousin here all afternoon. Derek had to go home, though. Maybe that's who you heard. Gia was vaguely surprised to hear the lie come out so easily. When was I able to do that, she thought, impressed. For a moment, even she believed that she had a cousin named Derek. She could picture him in her head. One of the constables groaned and put a hand on the other one. So sorry to bother you ladies. Ugh, please notify the station master if you see him. Maybe. Gia glanced at her grandma, now awake and looking at her curiously. Of course, officers. Will do. Grandma May made noises along the same veins as the officer stumbled back towards the main pedestrian walkway. Gia, what just happened? Nothing, Grandma. The older woman gave her a suspicious look and slowly picked her book back up. If I didn't know better, Gia, I would think that you just lied to those nice men. Gia looked at her book and tried not to notice her skin burning up from forehead to chest. What was that? She wondered. Ten, are you ready yet? I have all Gia's stuff loaded finally. God damn, those were a lot of books. Where's the cargo for the asteroid job? Ten gave his mother a droll look and kissed her on the cheek. She'd arrived with Gia just a couple minutes earlier to see them off since they'd had to cut the trip short. Thanks, Mom, he said. We'll be back in a few months. Try not to worry. Who's worried? She said, smiling and patting his cheek, but she could feel but he could feel her unhappiness. Next time, maybe you stay a little longer. Sure. We've got to run out to Lunar Station as well, so if you want... Ten! Where's the cargo key? I need to get the droids in before the rental time is up. He rolled his eyes and shook his head, shouting back, It's in the same place it always is, right by the ship's docking controls. Manfully not adding dummy at the end like he wanted to. For being a bona fide genius, Hoon sure was a dumbass sometimes. May sighed and gave him another hug. You're busy, I know. Come back soon, baby. I worry. I know, Mom. Thank you for taking care of Gia. Ten leaned down to press a kiss into his daughter's brown hair, and Gia put her arms around his waist. You have fun, kiddo? She nodded, but he got an odd sense of regret from her, as if she was looking for something, or waiting for something. What's up, baby? Are you feeling bad for leaving Grandma early? Uh-huh. She broke away from him to give May another hug, but Ten felt something new from her independence, a secret, something she didn't want him to know. It made his heart constrict just a little. She's growing up, he thought. No one warned me. She'd never had a secret from him before. He rubbed his chest, watching her as she kissed May and ducked into the ship to help her papa. Ugh. Gosh, that hurts. He glanced at his mother, catching the same feeling of regret or maybe melancholy. The emotion was odd, too similar to his own thoughts. You okay, Mom? Do you need anything? No, nothing, you beautiful boy, she said, waving him off. Come back soon. Tell Gia to write to me every day. I love you and that dumpster fire you call a husband. Thanks, Mom. He gave her another hug. We'll see you in about six months. He turned and closed the docking bridge doors, waving at her from the other side of the gate. Ten settled into the pilot's chair next to Kuhn, feeling the other's relief and happiness at leaving so strongly he didn't even have the heart to look at his partner's face. He didn't even have to look at his partner's face. He did anyway. Kuhn was smiling, absorbed in the navigation charts, plotting the short-term flight patterns for Ten. Ten sighed. It really wasn't fair. What? said
method team uploading the final path from Cygnus to Cooper Station, which would be their first stop. You're staring at me. Well, you were staring at, Kun said. Whatever. But Kuhn still smiled at him, just a little shyly. I'm glad we're going. I can tell, said Ten, dryly, starting three flight checks. You're practically glowing. You're annoying. So you keep telling me. Where's the kid? Mom got her a new book series. She's holed up in her berth with it. Snuggling that dragon mask, too. Dragon mask? Mm-hmm, Ten said, smiling a little. He had a feeling he knew where the secret was focused on. It's the one she got at the festival. The one she won't tell us anything about? Oh. Kuhn went quiet, obviously having missed all of that. I didn't realize there was a mask. Ten snorted. We're lucky you remember that you have a kid most days. Oh, that's not fair, Ten. I love her. Ten reached out to grab his hand and squeezed it in apology. I know, I know. I'm sorry. She's lucky to have such a great papa. Check the path and call for clearance, Ten, said Kuhn, embarrassed, but squeezing back. I want off this hunk of junk yesterday. Aye, aye, Captain. Ten released him and flipped open the comm channel to the station master. Cygnus 1 Station Master, this is the KD1059, requesting departure clearance in flight path 001, transmitting, over. This is Station Master Cygnus 1, flight path 001, received and approved. You are third, scheduled for departure. Please stand by, over. Standing by. Ten ignored Kuhn's groan of disapproval. Relax, lover. We knew it was going to be busy with the moon festival. Just hold your horses. Station Master will get us out of here soon enough. Stupid Station Master, grumbled Kuhn, having to ask permission for everything. Ten stared at him with his eyebrows raised up. The older man blushed a little and settled more comfortably in his seat. Sorry, he groused. There was a short, only slightly awkward pause. Civilian Transport KD1059er, this is Cygnus 1 Station Master. You are cleared to depart. Pleasant journey. Over and out. Ten felt the engines kick as the ion drive came online, smoothly and powerfully, and spared a moment of gratitude for the surly dumpster fire next to him. God bless intelligent men and their mechanical skills, he thought, as he gently eased them out into the void.